this summer we're bringing you double koi gig let's get to the Russo goal straight away like a back heel nutmeg like it was <laughs> for me it was one of the moments of the tournament subscribe to the OTB koi gig pod on the OTB sports app now OTB AM with Gillette get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs razor with exfoliating bar both same Pats and also Sligo Rovers are getting ready now for the third round of qualifying for the Conference League in Sligo's case this is the furthest they've ever gone in Europe a tremendous evening for the league the Saints going marching on after beating Mura away from home in Slovenia a team who beat Tottenham Hotspur in the group stages of the Conference League last year winning 6-5 on the sudden death penalties and for Sligo Rovers a very comfortable victory for them against SPL side Motherwell in the end 3-0 on aggregate 2-0 on the night at the showgrounds one to remember for the bit of red as they progress into the third round of qualifying. Delighted to say I've got Ashton O'Reilly here with me this morning as well. Ash, a fantastic night. Um, I think for a lot of us, I know in my case, I watched on a dodgy Slovenian stream to see the penalties <laughs> um, with St. Pat's and watched a little bit of um, Sligo over the last two legs. They won very comfortably against a Motherwell side after the Scottish press had called them minnows, which probably, I think, got their backs hey, up ahead well, of the I didn't side. know that. Mm. Yeah, oh no, it was a tremendous night, Will. It really was. For the League of Ireland as a whole, you know, it's great to see those type of results. It's getting the recognition. Obviously, you could talk about the, the prize money that's got, coming into it as well. That's a massive of boost for them and yeah just the games as a whole um, geez, some of the, the scores the, the free kick I know we're going to talk about oh. it, Shane Blaney um, for Sligo in the first three four minutes it was incredible I'm sure that lifted the showgrounds completely then and they kicked on from there and then for Pats to do it in the way they did it in penalties was something else so yeah a massive night um, brilliant show lined up to, to look back in it all so very exciting and yeah it, it's great for the League of Ireland Yep no mention of minnows on the back pages this morning uh, taking a look at a few them here. The Mirror, didn't they do well? A play on Motherwell uh, from Sligo after their 2-0 victory at the showgrounds. They now get ready to play against Viking of Norway next week and uh, Shane Blaney with a wonderful knuckle free kick. Not exactly what you're expecting from a centre-back when he addresses the ball about 40 yards out from goal and then Max Madigan, the late goal, to secure the win. EU Beauties, EU Beauties uh, they've got pictures from both of the games there with Pats and Sligo advancing and you can see that Joseph Anang the hero, uh, the on loan West Ham player with St. Pat's uh, a couple of tremendous saves in normal time then stopped a couple of the penalties in the shootout the last penalty for Miura was blazed over the bar as Pat's came through by six goals to five we'll be talking about some of the rest of the stories across across the back pages later on but Russell Glow uh, John Russell first year as the Sligo boss Sligo legend as well uh, helping them to get into the third round of Conference League qualifying now I'm delighted to say that we've got Alan Keane with us another Sligo legend a man in his seven seasons of the club won the league won the FAI Cup won the League Cup won the Satanta Sports Cup as well won it all effectively with a bit of red and he is very much the voice of Sligo Rovers on the commentary and was on commentary with Jessica Ferry last night as well Alan how are you getting on this morning? Morning how's things? Oh, well look I'd say as a Sligo man and as a Sligo supporter at this stage while you're doing the commentaries as well this must be one of the best mornings to wake up as a Sligo supporter Yeah I'd say there's a few sore heads now around Sligo this morning um, after that result um, look at it, it was just superb uh, from start to finish and uh, look at it kicked off with as you said there earlier with uh, Shane Blaney free kick absolutely top drawer and uh, uh, you could feel the atmosphere the build up to the game you could feel the balls in around the ground and it just gave a lift and um, Motherwell really offered nothing and, and people might say Motherwell were poor but that's that's down to I suppose the tactics of Sligo Rovers and didn't not really letting them play 
Well, Graham Alexander, the Motherwell boss, said that after both of the legs that you know Motherwell didn't play well, but he gave all credit to Sligo for how they played, particularly after the away leg uh, last week. And to be fair, I think there were many of us who kind of wondered after the UCD game what kind of form Sligo were in going across to Scotland. But that's two really good back-to-back performances. I'm talking about the quality of football here as much as the results themselves. Yeah, like, look at, uh, you go back two weeks ago when they played Ballatown and, uh, like, no disrespect to Ballatown, they're part-timers, they're, you know, some of them are have a, a day job and stuff like that and they come over here and effectively Sligo Rovers should be out of Europe mm-hmm. um, they've missed chance upon chance and it, they've took it to penalties then fast forward three or four days they go Sligo Rovers play UCD and get played off the park and, uh, and get beat so no one gave anyone a chance um, going over there Sligo Rovers a chance over there but sometimes as players that's what you're relishing because you, no one's giving you a chance you're going out there with the freedom you have a free hit nearly as they say and I think once they scored that keen a goal and they held on to something it's, it then started giving them the belief and John Russell the way he is, is uh, and he's a top class pro as, uh, as a player he, and I know the in-depth that he goes into in management he would have just said to the lads look there's a massive opportunity here for you you've nothing to fear and and it's exactly what they've done I had a little bit of fear last night that the big crowd that was there sometimes they get kind of a little caught up in it but no I think uh, that Shane Blaney free just absolutely settled them into the game and, and they, they kicked on from there when it came to the big crowd as well, there was every effort made to try and extend the attendance which was possible at the showgrounds. Like, I'm sure one of the questions, Alan, that's going to come up now with Viking coming up in the next round and you know the financial advantages are there from having a big crowd. Is there any possibility that Sligo moved this game away from the showgrounds now? Well, uh, it is uh, going by the, the UEFA criteria for, for the third round. It, ha- it, it can't. There, there's it has to be moved away from Sligo um, but I know behind the scenes here speaking to um, one or two of the committee and the chairman last night they're doing every best effort to, to keep it in Sligo um, they really want it and I think taking the game away from here would kill kind of a little bit of a buzz you know so the fans you know having to go across it probably more than likely be Tala it's probably the, the next best um, the stadium Um but I don't know what's the uh, what's exactly quite criteria. But I know that the the club are definitely working and trying to keep it here. I think it's, it has to be a four thousand two four and a half thousand seater stadium, and I think Sligo Rovers have three thousand nine hundred or three thousand eight hundred, so they're they're a, a bit short. And you can't put in a temporary stand mm. uh, going by UEFA standards either. So it will be disappointing if it's moved uh, moved uh, away from Sligo. But I'm sure the the club will do their best efforts to to keep it in Sligo. And Alan, I'm sure the the team themselves being used to playing on the pitch, all those type of things will really stand to them in these type of games. Yeah, that's it. Like, you know, as a player, you're kind of, you're used to all your surroundings, you're used to things. So when you get moved away for your home game away somewhere else, it it, it is difficult because I don't think you feel that buzz that's, that does be around the town here. Um, once it's, once it's uh, shifted across up to Dublin, yeah, there's a massive support in Dublin as well for, for Sligo Rovers, but uh Everyone will want it here in, in, in Sligo because it'll bring that buzz. But it'll bring that buzz providing they, they get a good result in the in the the away leg first, which is away first next thir- next Thursday. Yeah, even from covering Dundalk in the last few seasons where they've had to go to the Viva Stadium and they've had to go to Tala. 
Uh, notwithstanding the last run in the group stage of the Europa League was during the pandemic so that kind of changed things as well but it doesn't quite feel the same when your team has to go to someone else's ground to play as great as these occasions are and you know playing teams like Arsenal and Molde in their case it isn't quite and for Sligo particularly having to come all the way across the country to play as well No it's not and I was part of the Dundalk uh, Europa, League, uh, Europa League side in 2016 and we had to I remember you know we were up around Dundalk and you your next game, you're playing, I think it was in St. Petersburg and we had to go to Tala to play them there and it just wasn't the same kind of pose. You're going, you're, you're leaving Dundalk to come and play in Tala. So, uh, look at, um, they have a great committee down here in Sligo, great chairman, Tommy Higgins, uh, Colin Feely, CEO. So, I know for a fact that they'll do everything in their right. Um, I'm, I think there's an inspection in the next uh, couple of days, well, a day or two and hopefully that's passed and they get to have it here because it's great like the fans and everything it'll be it'll just mean a lot to the town as well because during the week here the buzz around the place and then when the Motherwell fans arrived in uh, Wednesday you know it was some atmosphere and you could feel the buzz around the town Yeah look it's the memories from nights like tonight that will resonate and stay around with Sligo supporters for a lot longer than the money coming in but from a financial point of view this is going to bring in close to a million euro by the end of this run it's 850,000 already in the bank when I think of you know Sligo a few years ago having to fundraise and having to fundraise quite heavily this is such an important injection of money into the club Oh it's massive because I think the budget I think it's 1.8 million for for the year so you're talking that 850k straight off is, is is absolutely massive and it'll stand to them for the next uh, year or two but it's important as well that they, they do try and qualify again for Europe next year and that's I think that's where the financial uh, rewards are and it is difficult our league is is, 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 a, is a really difficult league because you look at the league at the minute like there's four or five six teams fine for that European uh, three European spots like so um, for, for John as well it'll be a massive boost he might be able to strengthen his squad to have a big push in the league uh, come towards the end of the year. How important a signing has Aidan Keane been? We mentioned outside the show, it was not that long ago he was playing in Scotland himself. He's come in, scored a lot of goals for you so far this season. Yeah, like Aidan Keane, like he, he he reminds me of, uh, when he first joined, he reminds me of that Mark Quigley, the way he plays. He's just the instincts of him in around the box. He's cleverness. And you've seen it for the second goal last night. He's just, he's picked the ball up. He's, he's put it around the defender on a plate for Max Matter. Um, and there was there was parts of the game last night where he broke his straight to chip the keeper from from a distance, and he did do it at one stage, but it was a free out, like you know. So uh, it was offside or something. But um, he's a top class player, and it was great business by John to to get him tied down to till twenty twenty four. But I tell you what, there will be clubs looking at him, and um, he could go for a fee if 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 he keeps up the performances that he's putting in. You mentioned the journey you've had so far. I mean, like McGinty basically keeps Sligo in Europe in that game against Bala going back a few weeks ago. Now, you can look forward for the first time ever to playing the third round of qualifying for a tournament when it comes to this uh, new conference league. What's the feeling about going to Viking and playing Norway next week? Or playing in Norway next week even? You see, that's it. Like, you just don't know. It's, it's like, as you said, Ballatown got Ballatown. People were booking their, their, their trips for Motherwell and they were lucky to get through, you know? So... People now are kind of going, as, as the rounds go on, I'm sure a lot of people are Googling Viking last night and Googling Viking uh, this morning. And they're no great, uh, like they're no, won't be any easy pushover either. Like, But it's important that next Thursday that they go there and they, they be able to take a result back home to Sligo, um, you know, or wherever the game may be, because it's uh, very important. And I think that's the, the story of the season so far for, for Sligo Rovers, that when they're, 
the underdogs, they really, really perform. Um, when they're at the favourites tag, i.e. Ballotown, the UCD game and a few others, uh, they don't seem to perform. But I think the lads, John will keep them um, grounded. And I'm sure this morning he's looking straight away, he's looking uh, forward to the Westford Youths game at the weekend in the FAI Cup. It's a slightly more complex trip uh, this time round to get to Norway, I think, as well, because a few mates of mine who were Saigo supporters went to both the away games and ahead of the Bala game, they got a couple of nights in Liverpool and a lot went over and kind of took in either Glasgow or Edinburgh on the way to Motherwell last time out. Two relatively easy trips to make. This time round, probably a little bit more difficult to get to Norway, as Pats fans probably saw. We'll be talking to some of the Pats camp later, but they had to go, I think, into Austria and then go from Austria to Slovenia. So um, I'd say planes, trains, automobiles will have to be worked out for people going to Norway next week. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of places already being looked at and, and uh, logistically. But I think the club are looking to put on a chartered flight um, and they're working on that as well at the minute. So hopefully that they can get that because there's no uh, there's no doubt about it, they'll pack that out. Um, you know, it was a couple of years back, I think it was 2010, we went to Poltava and they had to put on a chartered flight. They could have put on three or four chartered flights. Um, you know, the, the fans are just, I think they're caught up in the European buzz now as well and um, some do like the the trips, you know, the the getting the uh, the bus, then a train, then another train across, you know. So it's all part and parcel of of the European trips, I suppose. But it is logistically, it is a difficult uh, trip for them. I'm going to ask you about John Russell and the impact that he's had, because there were plenty of people who looked at say when Buckley left and wondering what direction Sligo were going to go in, and there have been, as you mentioned, a few kind of ropey domestic results along the way. But it seems that he's got that team really playing for him now. Yeah, it is. And, and John, like, John would have worked obviously under Lean for a while, so he'd known his players, he would have known exactly what it wants, but I'm not sure the input he had when Lean was there. So I think we're probably now seeing the Im- input that John would like to put in himself. Uh, John, John will want the players playing on the front foot. He's a clever in his way as well. He, he, like, you know, he'll do his research on every team, everything, and he'll know how to man manage the players, and he's very good like that. He's not only, um, he's a nice man as well, so he, He'll look at the lads, I suppose, on a personal level as well. But also, he won't be afraid to to let it known if he's not happy. And um, I think the impact he's made from his first game, uh, Derry City beating them at home, Derry were flying it, and next thing, they beat them at home. And uh, yes, they had a few ropey results, and, and a few fans were like, oh, wrong decision. Uh, shouldn't have just done that. But it's uh, football is it's patience, and it's paid off, you know. Um, this is the first time in the history of the club that they've got past the second round, you know, so... Um, absolutely delighted for the, for Russler and uh, obviously the club. Yeah, that's a magnificent run. Alan, thanks a million for joining us on OTBM this morning. No problem. Thanks thanks to yourselves. Delighted to say that we've got Alana Canan from OTB Sports who's going to be joining us in a moment as well. She was at the showgrounds last night, Ash. I mean, it has to be one of those things you go along to watch your own team succeed like that. She got a couple of fan videos which we're going to play out in a few minutes too. And like League of Ireland fans are often long-suffering. And mm-hmm. when you get results like this, they're there to be cherished. And it's perhaps even all the more special the Pats went through in the same night as well. It's massive. It really is. And this is why you're a fan. This is why you're a supporter, especially if it's your own club as well. You know, you, these nights don't come around too often. As we said, they had, what, four, I think, wins in Europe before these games. And it's just unbelievable for them now to be on this run and to see John, a former player in there as well, taking them, you know, to this as well is something else. Um, and it's just special. It really is. 
is and we'll see what happens now after this and how far they can go on but it's massive for the club it's only going to drive the club on further it shows what they can do it highlights the League of Ireland it's just brilliant and yeah I'm sure they will kick on because last night I thought was really impressive you know they're coming up against a good Motherwell side you know they're a good Scottish Premiership team and yeah I think they put in a really good performance and yeah it's exciting now to see yeah, let's not go. forget Shamrock Rovers as well. And we're celebrating Pats and Sligo today, but Rovers been a really good performance against Ludogorets on Tuesday night. Uh, the damage was done with the goals that they conceded in the first leg, but they went out in their shield and they'll still be hopeful of progressing in Europe next week. So I'd say Alana Canan is with us now, uh, who was at the showgrounds last night. How does that rank, Alana, of nights that you've gone to the showgrounds getting through to the third round of qualifying in Europe? It's uh, it's definitely up there, Will. <laughs> um, I suppose uh, I was the product of the... 2010 kind of area where we won the two FAI Cups and then the league. So I'd say now there was a few more that had that kind of passion ignited in them last night from uh, grown men crying to little kids being over the moon. It was just, it was an amazing night. Yeah, we're just looking at some of the fan footage here at the moment for those who are joining us on social media on OTBAM. I mean, it's packed to the rafters, Alana, is the first thing. You know, as Alan was mentioning, unfortunately, UEFA weren't allowing temporary stands to win where they were trying to increase the capacity beyond uh, the 4,500. But anyone who could get a ticket that was a Sligo Rovers fan to go in and watch that game against Motherwell last night, and a sizable Scottish support came over too, were packed into the showgrounds. Yeah, definitely will. And there was even a few that didn't get a ticket that maybe were wanting to, wanting to be in there. I know there was talk maybe of um, the mall setting up a screen in town. Now that didn't uh, pan out in the end, but that was the demand for the tickets. It tells you all you need to know in that regard because, uh, yeah, there was just masses and masses of people. I haven't seen the showgrounds really like it in years, to be honest. Um, and as you're saying there, it's just bringing that buzz back to the club and highlighting the the product that we have in the League of Ireland I think you know sometimes we often kind of give out about it maybe in that uh, you know a lot of our best players maybe end up going overseas but that just tells you the calibre of the product that is there and you know you get days like this then the odd time for all the hardship of it for those fans I guess And tell us about the reaction three minutes in Shane Blaney's free kick what was it like? (laughs) Yeah, I think it just said everyone's stunned. I, I'd say, I'd love to actually watch it back because uh, it went in and it was just like an oh my God kind of way because uh, it was from a massive distance. And I know he had mentioned even in the build-up that he does like those distances. But yeah, I think it was just stunned and then just um, jubilation, I guess. The jumps from the seats and the absolute screams because while, um, you know, the Scottish media were calling Sly Rovers in the build-up this, the Irish Minnows, um, maybe the Irish Minnows could um, pull out a result over 90 minutes but to do it over 180 is a different story and it just tells you that Sligo Rovers were the better team on the day and did in fact deserve that result it wasn't a, a fluke I guess I think it kind of surprised the Motherwell goalkeeper a little bit too. I was watching the game on Premier Sports and their commentary team were thinking he shouldn't be getting beaten from that kind of range. But I think genuinely he thought defender is coming up to address the ball here. In all likelihood, we're going to defend our 18-yard box and he's probably just clipping the ball in. You're not expecting a knuckleball free kick from that kind of range to be shot on goal. And as you say, by a defender too, now, as like um, he was saying, even in the build-up, like I was just mentioned there, um, he does have it in his locker, but uh, like they were probably looking at this uh, defender walking up to the ball and going, oh God, like, here we go, as you're saying. But when I was chatting to him there afterwards, he was just saying, um, you know, he struck it so well that it just floated into the top corner. I, like, it was a brilliant goal to watch. And um, yeah, the showgrounds love that one. 
Yeah, shifty lad in contact on YouTube in the comments well. It seems League of Ireland teams might be able to hold their own in the Scottish League, uh, Division 1 in England also. Pity we don't really appreciate it here. And I'm included in that being more of a GA man. Congratulations uh, to Sligo Rovers. I think um, possibly a bit of a stretch to say that Sligo will be competing in the SPL um, or any of our League of Ireland teams, even Shamrock Rovers uh, competing in the SPL. It would be a hell of a step up. But when you think of, Alan, I was just looking back. We were chatting to Alan Keane a few minutes ago and he was on with the Bala game. And you look at like how important McGinn he was and then next thing he gets transferred away this time of year is actually pretty difficult for League of Ireland clubs and Sligo felt that too where you know teams come in with cash for players and we were talking about on the show uh, last night uh, Nathan was chatting to a League of Ireland agent about you know how they just can't compete with the money that's available even in League 1 and League 2 in England and players are going to get taken away usually for very small release clauses but Sligo were able to just keep going and you've put in a new goalkeeper there for the last couple of games and he's done pretty well yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if you caught it um, watching the stream well, but I noticed there was a moment and it's not getting much traction, I don't think. It was uh, well into the second half, but Luke McNicholas, the guy you're talking about who replaced Ed McGinty and has stood up to that. Um, it stood into those baits uh, superbly, but he came out and uh, was doing the sweeper-keeper, came well out of his line, well past the box to clear the ball and then head of it. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> Went the whole way out and then headed it. That just tells you um, the confidence, I suppose, that was in that squad. And it does have um, a mass amount of leaders too because let's say even Cawley went off and he passed the armband to McDonald, And then McDonald was going off and he passed it to Buckley. And you weren't kind of going, oh God, like, you know, all of them are leaders in that Sligo Rover squad. And then you'd forget, like, Greg Bulger wasn't even playing, you know. So I think, yeah, like you're saying there, you know, um, League of Ireland clubs do kind of get hit when the transfer window rolls around, but there is that quality there and other players, like, only too delighted to step up into those positions. Yeah, look, when your keeper's willing to come out and head the ball and sweep keep like that, that's just, <laughs> that's just total football. And look, yeah. in fairness, we sent Alan a few minutes ago, like, Sligo played really nice football over these two legs. All the focus uh, in the UK is going to be that Motherwell have been embarrassed and knocked out in the second round of Europa League qualifying, but that doesn't give credit to how well Sligo have played over the last 180 minutes. Yeah, definitely. And um, I just heard a touch of Alan there before he came on. I think that's a credit to John Russell, but also like it's a credit to Liam Buckley. I think he's kind of got a bit forgotten about on all this because he's the one who got them there. Let's not um, like not remember that because um, he's the one who got them to this stage. Now, um, John has done superb work since he came in. And I'd say he himself, I was watching him on the sideline keenly last night. He was probably having flashbacks. I'm sure you're aware of that. Um, Rosenberg tie in 2014 you know Sligo came home and were expected to win that one and were um, I think it was 3-1 up with 77 minutes gone in the second leg you know and then uh, it all fell to pieces 4-3 then in the end and he was playing in that team so I'd say he knew well you know how to manage the expectations and kind of keep the nerves at bay even though uh, I'd say if you watch back the footage, his nerves weren't, uh, weren't too good uh, coming into the second half there. Well, Anna, you were chatting to, well, one of the men at the moment uh, who's going to have a free kick that's going to be remembered for many a year. You were chatting to Shane Blaney last night. Yeah, he was uh, in flying form. I don't think he could quite believe um, the result himself. Um, he, he knew, he, as he said, he had the free kick in his locker. But just then after that, I think he was kind of just soaking it in a little bit. And... Um, then, as ever, looking forward to the next game and putting it all behind them. I think they were all saying that, you know, um, they have the Norway tie, obviously, next week, but the FAI Cup first. And Sligo, as we all know, went out first round in the FAI Cup last year. So they'll be looking to avenge that and put on a performance there as well, I'd say. 
All right, we can uh, hear from Shane Blaney there talking to Alana after the game at the showgrounds. Shane, a massive performance from yourself tonight. What what are the emotions like right now after that win? Oh, it's brilliant. Obviously a class night for the club and for us as players and the crowd was unbelievable. Um, but no, it's, it's, just, it's just a really, really class night. Like. The goal had everyone stunned just a few minutes in. Talk us through that and what you were kind of thinking. I look, it was it was a good it was a good distance for me. I like them. I like the how, that it was a wee bit further out, and and uh, I lined it up. And I seen that I seen kind of last last second he kind of shifted to his to his right hand post. He thought I might cut it back, but I've just put it over the far side. So thankfully it's it's snuck in and it's brilliantly. And the feeling afterwards? Brilliant, obviously class like. But I just knew I knew we had to focus straight away. Like cause I couldn't get, we couldn't get carried away. It was three minutes in, and we know the quality they have throughout their team, and they're obviously playing at a, at a higher level and. They have clever midfielders who can slip a slip a ball in and kill, and tear you apart in one pass. Like so, we knew we had to switch, be switched on, and thankfully we were over the ninety, over the ninety in both legs. And some people are saying that's the most kind of electric they've seen the showgrounds in years. Would you kind of echo that? Well, I've not seen much of the showgrounds in years, but that tonight that was unbelievable. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't imagine there being many topping that. Like, um, but it's it's incredible to think we have another one coming now in two weeks' time. So. And then um, on defensive duties, then you were clearing the lines quite a lot. Also, um, what was that like? Kind of keeping keeping all sides uh, happy that way. You're on the score sheet and kept a clean sheet. Is that? Yeah, look, clean sheet's massive. We, we knew that coming into coming into the tie. Obviously, a clean sheet was going to get us through. So to get two over both legs is it's it's what you want as a defender. And thankfully, we defended really well from from the front, not just not just us as a back four. Like from Aidan Keena and Max Matta when he came on. We defended so well from the front, and thankfully now we're three. And are you looking forward to that tie already? I know you have to. You have to say now the cup is first, but it is. It's so this cup's so important. Like, and Sunday's massive for us because we know what happened last year in the cup, the first round we got knocked out. So it's it's still there. It's it's chipping our shoulders, and we have to go out on Sunday and put in the same type of performance and and really really get the place going so that we can get a good cup run going. And just when you mentioned the chip on your shoulder, also a lot of the build-up was talking about the minnows, quote-unquote, Sligo. What was that kind of in reaction to you guys? Was that a bit of motivation? Ah, not really. Like we obviously it came from the came after the first leg. So no, I don't. I wouldn't pay attention much to that stuff. Like it's obviously just newspapers. But Motherwell knew themselves what they were what they were coming into. They wouldn't have been their manager wouldn't have been calling us minnows. Like they knew they knew coming here tonight they were going to have a tough task, and and they did, and they. We limited them to very few chances again and thankfully took a 2-0 one. Congratulations, Shane. Best of luck. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Lana, you can definitely feel the confidence of Shane there. And is this something throughout the team? Do you feel that buzz when you're speaking to them? Because definitely on the pitch, you can see that they're they're really clicking. Yeah, I think so. In one, in one way, Ashley, yes. But I suppose their problem at the minute is kind of consistency. You know, they can pull it out in these um, so-called big games, you know, the European games. But just at the week before, they had lost to UCD. So I'd say that's what he's kind of conscious of there when he's saying that, um, you know, they need to get the focus on and have as much um, build up in that into that um, cup game as they did to this game. Because I suppose that's the mark of a great team, isn't it? When they can um, stay consistent throughout and have those big performances, but also pull it out of the bag when they're um, playing a different quality of team as well. Well, I've no doubt the crowd unions around Sligo Town are going to be getting hit with people <laughs> trying to get to Norway next Thursday for the first leg against Viking and then probably going to Dublin most likely uh, for the tie in the round the week afterwards, so the second leg. Alana, thanks a million for joining us after what was a momentous night at the showgrounds last night. 
That'll be some night for uh, Sligo Rovers as well if they have to play that one in Shamrock Rovers. But yeah, thanks a minute. Go on. We'll talk to you later on. The Rovers may well be a home for a different Rovers next week, depending on what happens. But the debate will go on about that. We'll chat to Dan McDonald about it later as well. Dan was kind of very sobering at full time in both of the games last night. It was like, fantastic for Pats, fantastic for Rovers. Now there's all these kind of logistical question marks about what's going to happen with these second legs in a couple of weeks' time. So we'll have a chat about that in a bit. We're going to be talking a little bit later in the programme to Sue Ronan, the former Republic of Ireland manager. She's on her way to watch the Euro 2022 final, uh, where Germany, the nine time winners, are going to be up against England, the hosts, and pretty much the overwhelming favourites going into the final on Sunday at Wembley. A crowd in excess of 80,000 will be in attendance for that. Well, quite of 80,000 at Croke Park this year for the ladies football finals, but we're looking forward to that too. Uh, we will have Jenny Rispin, former dual player, Mead ladies football legend with us as part of the quick picks because Ash... The rest of the team have gone and taken a long weekend. <laughs> Looking forward to this weekend now, absolutely. It's a big one to be able to do back-to-back. It will be something really special well, if they can do it. Um, but they're up against a really tough Kerry team. You know, they put up uh, 4-10 against Mayo in the semi-final. A really good Mayo team. Um, I just think it's going to be two completely different styles of football they play. Um, you know, you see the sort of the directness of Kerry. And obviously Mead have perfected this defensive system but well able to, to get up the pitch and, and score and be exciting in that attacking style that they do have too but it's it, it's so different that it's so hard to call um, but yeah really excited to, to see which way it goes but yeah it's uh, definitely going to be a close one that's for sure To steal a phrase from the great Phil Jackson does it feel a little bit like the last dance for me as well I know this is five years of fantastic success you know coming through the intermediate finals and then winning the senior title on the back of the intermediate which is the ultimate fairy tale story but when you've got some of the key players getting ready to go to Australia given the changes in the AFLW season which means that in all likelihood Vicky Wall is going to be committed entirely to playing um, Aussie Rules football next season does this feel like kind of a chance to go back to back with the strongest panel that Mead could possibly have? Yeah, because you're talking about superstar players there, Vicky Wall, Orla Lally, they're big players. So to have girls come in and replace them, you know, it's tough to ever replace girls like that. So in a sense, maybe, I'm not sure how it's going to go with the girls over there and if they'll be back or what way it's all going to work out. We, we don't know, you know, if they're going to like it, if it's going to work out for them. No one knows yet. But yeah, it, it does feel that if they if they do go and they stay, that it's a massive loss for, for Mead football. But we do have the girls there on the bench. There's girls on the bench that are just as good as, you know, a lot of the starting 15 that could easily settle in there. Um, and, and we're given a chance. We've seen so many of the girls come on and really cement their place as well. So we've seen that time and time again. So yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be too afraid of girls coming in and, and taking a place there, but. It is massive for me to be able to do back to back. Like there was a lot of talk. Is this a fluke that they went on and did it? Obviously, they backed it up with performances this year, but they really want to do this back to back to be able to say, you know, it wasn't a fluke that we went on one intermediate, one senior. You know, this is a great team. You know, they want to be seen as that. So I do think that they, they'll want to go all the way and be able to prove some of those uh, people wrong. But um yeah, it's it's very tough to call because Kerry have been coming quietly. 
they, they're teams that know each other as well. They've met each other last year in particular um, in the, the league final in Crow Park. That was a brilliant game that day. And Kerry, they, they've just been improving constantly throughout the championship. And the likes of Louise Nimurhertig, look, she's been playing for... She's been shooting the lights out as well. Shooting the lights out well. And she's been playing for years. You know, she, she deserves to be there in the All-Ireland final. And it's exciting to see her play there in Crow Park in an All-Ireland final. You know, this is what it's about. So, yeah, it, it's it's a really tough one to call. But uh, I think we're going to be in for a cracker. And I'm, I'm sure I'll be hopefully more high score and then... Say the, Hold your prediction though. Don't give the prediction away. I'm you saying quick nothing, yeah, I'm sure you have time. no idea what way I'm going. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure when the graphic goes up, it's like Ashton O'Reilly, Kerry. Hmm, they're going to bridge the 10-year gap. I'm delighted to say that we're now joined by the Sligo Rovers manager, John Russell, who's on the road at the moment, but joins us after what was a magnificent night for Sligo last night. John, how are you getting on this morning? Yeah, I'm great. Yeah, good morning, guys. Um, yeah, really uh, proud of all of the players and, and the staff and the performance last night. You know, it was a big moment for the club and um, you know, we created history. Uh, there was a challenge put out to the, the players before the game last night. Could we be the first team in the history of Sligo Rovers to qualify for a tournament for the European competition? And uh, they produced the good. Yeah, we were chatting to Alan Keane a little bit earlier on. And he was saying that probably what impressed him the most was that you go back to, say, the Bala game where you were on the ropes and it could well have seen you exit Europe on that night. Now you've come out in this Motherwell tie and played extremely well in both legs, taking even the away leg into account, which is a very professional performance, helped by Aidan's great goal last week too. But to play really well over these 180 minutes must be very pleasing for you. Yeah, um, I mean, for us as a club and, and for the League of Ireland, you know, to go away, uh, be the SPL team, and then to bring them back home and finish the job was huge, you know. And I think you yeah, were disappointed in the return against Bala, you know, our performance at home in front of a big crowd. We, we rode our luck a bit on the night, but it was important as a group just to get through that first round. And, and I felt the players carried out the game plan perfectly in the second round. You know, we were fully deserving of the, of the win. And, you know, for us now going forward, it's about raising the bar and, and having that belief as a, as a club in Ireland that we can compete at this stage and, and get through rounds in Europe because we know the, the reward financially for the club and it helps us push it on and not the pitch. Yeah, it's massive. If you've got a budget of around 1.8 a year and already there's 850,000 in the can, that's not including the money that's going to come in from the two games against Viking with the prize money, with, you know, the obviously we'll talk maybe in a little bit about where the game is going to be, but you take the ticket sales into account as well. This is a huge financial injection for the club. That's massive, yeah. We don't have a big benefactor or people pumping money into the club in Sligo we have our model it's um, community run you know the committee do an unbelievable job and the fundraising that goes on every year to keep the, the club full time um, you know we're developing the academy but it costs money and fortunately at the moment we don't have a big TV deal in the League of Ireland and prize money wouldn't be that big so when you do get a chance in, in Europe to get through rounds you've got to grab it with both hands and the, the finances will be a big help. You know, there are plans to redevelop the stadium and, and build training facilities. So hopefully this will accelerate all that process. Yeah, well, especially when you consider that there's multiples to be earned compared to winning the League of Ireland. Like even getting a result in one of these games in Europe can be worth as much as the prize money for winning the League of Ireland. So that just maybe goes to show the importance of getting a run if you do win a few games in these competitions. Absolutely, yeah. And the thing for us now is we've got to make sure we get into those European spots in the league. Um, we want to be competing in there next year, whether it's through the Cup or getting into the top three, because we know that it's key to get this money in. And, you know, to grow the club, you need to be able to be competing in Europe to attract players and 
Um, it's going to be massive. So, you know, we capitalise on this. You know, sometimes you have to have a lucky draw as well. You know, sometimes you get big teams in the first round and you don't have really a good chance of getting through. But thankfully, the two teams you played so far, we've had a game plan and we've executed it. And last night, John, three minutes in, Shane Blaney lifts the place completely. What was it like on the sideline and the reaction? Uh, it was a special moment. You know, I said it before, European nights are special occasions for all the players, for the fans, you know, and the atmosphere in the grounds, you know, around the town, even building up into the game was amazing. And to get a, a start like that, you know, you saw that goal in any league around the world. It would be getting replayed every, uh, every couple of hours. And for Shane, it was like him in training every morning. He practiced penalties and free kicks and for him to set up or step up in that setting and that moment and to score the goal was incredible. It also must settle you then on the sideline because if you get the lead, you know, things can settle down a small bit then. Absolutely, yeah. There's always going to be that um, nervousness coming into the second round or second leg. You know, Motherwell, they had a good look at us in the first round and they were hurting and, you know, when we played them over there, and I think we fully deserved to get the 1-0 win. But their crowd were booing, and you could see and sense that the frustration from them. So we knew there was going to be a reaction coming over last night, and you know we knew we had to start on the front foot and you know try and get an early goal and not just sit back for the whole whole game and try and protect the lead and, and take take a one in the lead early in the game. It really calmed the nerves and helped us grow into the game. Yeah, something Graham Alexander was talking about after they were booed off the pitch. He was saying, look, it's understandable that the fans will have an expectation, but he was very quick to put praise back onto your team by saying, look, Sligo have come over here. They've defended very well as a unit. They've scored their goal. They've come away with a very much deserved 1-0 win. And basically he was saying his side deserved the flack they were getting from their fans because of the fact that they were so well constrained by you guys. He was very quick to give credit back. Yeah, I know. Uh, I think it's nice to get those compliments because you know, we have top players here and I've said it before, you know, our league is probably underrated and for us to get that result, it probably raised the profile again and, you know, we've got young players at Sligo Rovers that have huge potential, huge talent and to play on the European stage, it allows them to showcase their abilities and, you know, we're doing an incredible amount of work, you know, it's a full-time professional club and the players want to improve every day and the staff are working really hard with them and, you know, moments like that last night, you're, you're coming up against players that are perceived as, as a higher level and a, and a higher league. And we're well capable of competing against these teams. And, you know, it was a big night for the club and, and a big statement. Is there a little bit of a balancing act over the next few weeks now? Because you want to progress in the FAI Cup this coming weekend and then you want to keep your league form around the two legs against Viking as well. It's a very important period coming up for you now because you mentioned you don't want this to be a one-off run in Europe, potentially miss out in the European places for next season. You've got to try and balance it off across a few competitions now in the coming weeks. Yeah, it's going to be a big challenge. The, the club probably hasn't experienced that before and... You know, you've seen it last year with Bohemians. They had a fabulous run in Europe and, and then they ended up getting to the cup final and just missing out winning it and they missed out in Europe. So you can see how quickly it can change. So for us, we've got to try and balance the squad as best we can and, you know, rotate where we can without compromising any games or, and, and still get results. But look, the, the players are hungry. They're, you know, well tabled are going on a run now and the challenge is to get back into those European places in the league. We were talking a little earlier about you know when you came in and when Bucko left and we were wondering where Sligo's form was going to go after that. How much are you enjoying this adventure as manager of the club now? Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. You know, it's a work in progress and I've been in the job probably two months now and you know, an incredible amount of work has gone in and you're, you're trying to 
change the culture within the club and um, you know change the mentality of the players and, and give them belief that we can raise our, our levels and, 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 and go and compete at a higher level. You know, we want to be competing for the getting through round and, and believing that as an Irish club we can go and, and get these results. But you've got to do your work. They say when you come into the training grounds, you know, it's, it's going through your principles of play, it's the gym sessions, the video analysis stuff, the, our team meetings, all that stuff feeds into the performances on the pitch and trying to create that style of play and an identity. And, you know, for the fans last night to, to walk out the showgrounds after witnessing that performance, that's what we want to be giving back. And John, you were involved back in 2014 against Rosenberg. There was heartbreak that night. It probably felt like one that got away. Does nights like last night make up for it a small bit? Uh, it really does, yeah. I was asked that question actually after the game last night and Dave Cawley, club captain who played um, last night and was outstanding. Himself and Dave were in the middle of the park against Rosenberg in both those games and uh, one where you still have, well, I did have sleepless nights, uh, you know, was a huge missed opportunity for the club to go 1 0 up at home and the return leg, you know, 3 1 in Agris and still get knocked out. It was devastating. So, you know, last week was probably one that, uh, yeah, helped soften the blow of that Rosenberg game. You probably learn a lot from those occasions. Even when you, you lose like that, you probably know going into last night's game, you probably think of those moments and think, right, what did I learn from that? Yeah, there's always learning um, from past experiences and especially from um, from failures and, and, and losses. So for me, yeah, the, the, going into the, the second leg, you know, I felt we needed to, to be on the front foot but obviously execute the game plan and, and, and be ready for any adjustments that, that they might make. And, you know, I thought they might change shape within the game and thankfully they didn't, but we would have prepared for all that and, you know, I felt the, the substitutions that we made in the game were the, were the right ones at the right time and, you know, there was fresh legs and we were always a threat to the counter in the second half and it wasn't that we sat back and it was a, you know, we were defending the, the whole game. I think, thought we were fully deserving of the 2-0 the victory in the end. Yeah, I, look, that was seen with the second goal. I mean, Matt had finished it really well. Good work by Keener for the second goal too. Like That's exactly what you want. A clinical moment just to any nerves that might have been there about Motherwell getting back into the game late on everything was lifted when that goal went in. You could almost, kind of watching the game even on TV, you could feel within the ground just that relief that was saying, right, we're into round three once the ball hit the net. Yeah, there, there was relief. Um, I suppose it's just that thing with, with Irish clubs, there's always sob stories and uh, what if and not, you know, it's a heroic effort. But, and, and it was important last night that there was none of that, you know, that we came in, there was, there was pressure on us, there was probably a bit more pressure on Motherwell and, you know, we were still seen as the underdogs, but, you know, for Irish clubs, to compete and, and be beating a FBL team home and away it's huge and you know to get the second goal it does calm the nerves and, and it shows again the potential of the players you know the product is there on the pitch John just Sometimes. one other question before we bring in um, yeah. Gary Buckley here just wondering what your thoughts are I mean the club is obviously just going to have to have a think now about the home leg in a couple of weeks and where it's potentially going to play um, what is your feeling on it it looks like it's probably going to be moved over to Dublin though yeah my feeling on it will be try and get it to the showgrounds, um, you know, whatever criteria we need to try and meet or, or get, get the ground up to speed in the next, we've got, you know, just under two weeks. Um, hopefully, between the, the club and the FEI that we can try and work with UEFA and, and host us and, and play it at the showgrounds because, you know, that's, that's our home, home ground. You want our home supporters uh, to be able to walk up to the, the showgrounds and, and witness us playing uh, good football against the top opposition. Well, John, congrats on the great results and the best of luck over the next couple of weeks with Viking. 
brilliant. Cheers, guys. Thank We've you. got Gary Buckley uh, ready to join us, I think, as well, uh, to look back on what was a momentous night. Gary, what a night for the club. Yeah, great night. Jesus, uh, everything went so well for us. I thought we performed in the night and well deserved to be honest over the two legs. Yeah, I mean, the performance has to be quite pleasing because understandably, nerves could, could kick in. Like Motherwell were talking about a response. That was one of the things Graham Alexander was saying after the first leg last week that they were going to go to Ireland and they were going to try and get an early goal and turn this tie around. But instead, it goes completely the opposite way. And like we're absolutely, you know, talking up this free kick from last night. But what an amazing goal. Ah, yeah, unbelievable goal. I suppose it was a perfect start for us. Ada does brilliant to, to make the free kick and um, yeah, it was some start for us to be fair, some strike from, from us in the half. <laughs> I know I couldn't do that anyway, to be honest, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a great strike and uh, to be fair, he has that in the locker to be a great left foot and uh, perfect start for us and from there, it was kind of comfortable, you know, we, we knew we had two all lead and to be honest, we were comfortable all, all, all two legs, like, um, that really concede much as in chances and stuff so as soon as that would then we kind of in the back of our heads we knew if we kept the same same performance going that we, we were true like yeah, it was a bit less dramatic than Pats who had to rely on their goalkeeper to make a few good saves in Slovenia last night and having to take the penalties but I'm sure um, having had the drama against Bala a couple of rounds ago you're probably thinking well, I don't mind a, a more composed and quiet night at the showgrounds where you score a goal early and score a goal late and progress pretty comfortably no, no, that's not ideal anyway with the, with the chances we coughed up against Bale and stuff and they'd, they'd done unbelievable for us to get through before before he left and um, so over the two legs I suppose in the first leg Luke done brilliant for us as well half chances here and there pot shots outside the box but I suppose John set us up brilliantly there for, for this leg and done his great homework on Motherwell and we're talking, like I said we were comfortable enough uh, solid enough in the back four back five and like I said well deserved over the two legs to go through Can you tell us a bit about what John has changed over the last couple of months because he said to us just a few minutes ago that he was coming in to maybe try and just get the spirits up again maybe change the culture a little bit and maybe a little bit of change in the style of the football what's John brought since he's come in? Um, I suppose probably the biggest thing for me that I know is probably just intensity um, obviously Liam had his ways and stuff and he wanted to kind of control football which is which is his way of doing things, which is fine. But I suppose John has his own ways, and he wants to kind of be kind of, kind of aggressive on and off the ball, and even on the ball, moving it quickly and stuff like that. And I suppose it took us a few weeks to um, to get used to it and stuff like that. But we're reaping the rewards now, and um, in Europe, that kind of style is suiting us as well. And hopefully, going forward, now into the league games as well, we kind of kick up the table as well, not just in Europe, but. Big thing for me is John is the intensity and and and, um, and even the training and stuff like that. We're in more often than not, um, and 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 with Liam. But I'm enjoying it, really enjoying it. It's um, it's great when you're when you're winning games. That's the that's the great thing. But um, yeah, it's 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 great when you're when you're going through rounds in Europe and everybody is happy and stuff like that. But so far so good. It's 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 same goal really. Like you know. Yeah, because we were chatting about the need for consistency and probably, look, the squad is going to be tested a little bit over the next while. Um, want to progress in the FAI Cup, want to try and go through in the two legs against Viking, which are coming up. As you say, want to shoot up the league table. Sometimes when a team has a run in Europe, it affects their form domestically. You want to make sure that doesn't happen, particularly over the next few weeks. And bringing that kind of consistency is going to be really important because you know, before you went to Scotland, I remember that UCD game where you were dropping points and it's going to be a case now of hopefully, from your point of view, not allowing your domestic form to dip here. 
no, no, absolutely not. It's, that's not ideal. You can't get carried away in Europe and stuff like that because the league is a bread and butter. That will ultimately get us Europe again next year if we if if we don't make Europe again next year. But no, this is a waste of nothing. Waste for nothing. Like so, yeah, it's it's back to bread and butter now on Sunday in the FA Cup, and like, there's another there's another big occasion there to get to get to the Viva as well, which is a huge game for the club again. Um, so it's it's kind of heads down, you know, back in the train again tomorrow. Not ideal, obviously, with the with the games coming thick and fast. But that, that's that's the joy of it, and that's, that's being a footballer. But focus now is on Sunday, and then we've already booked Norway next week. You know, it was a massive night for the fans as well. Um, it looked electric watching on. What was it like on the pitch? Yeah, it was great. Jesus, I've, I've played many cup finals and league deciders and, and that that was well up there as a for atmosphere. Jesus, I suppose the goal at uh, at the start was a great help for us as well. They kind of got behind us and kicked on from there. Um, but yeah, Jesus, so, so, the showgrounds was rocking. It was um, it was really impressive to be fair. And if we have that through through every game this year, close to that, then we find it hard to lose games in, in the showgrounds this year. It's just it's just getting that every week, which is great. Um, but yeah, geez, the fans have been brilliant. Yeah, it builds that bond with the supporters too. Like, you know, chatting to some Sligo Rovers fans who've gone to the two away legs and have had, you know, let's be fair, a good time uh, going to England primarily. I think for most of them going to Bala first and uh, many of them went into Liverpool and then some of them went along to Scotland to watch the games against Motherwell. Now they've got a trip to Norway. As players, is your feeling that you can now give Viking a right good fight over these two legs coming up? I don't see why not. Um, I suppose the way John and Ryan Casey do their homework, um, there's no stone unturned. I suppose um, we know now that we, as long as we turn up, put a shift, keep a clean sheet, that we'll have a chance. We've got Aidan Keane and Max Matt up front that we get chances we're going to score them. So it was a big thing for us that we kept a clean sheet in the last two games and that's given us opportunities to go and win. But um, yeah, we, we'll be fearful of no one really in this stage of the groups or this stage of the qualifiers. Like I said, it's just, Gary, ah. before you go, is that we're going to be talking Pats a little bit later on. It was just nice to support with the League of Ireland to watch within about kind of 15 minutes of each other just a kind of a, a yes tweet coming from both clubs about the fact that they qualified with Pats coming through. Like as a League of Ireland man, and even having watched you know, Shamrock Rovers play quite well against Ludogratz, you guys are rivals throughout the season, but to have had three really good Irish performances in Europe this week is fantastic for the league. Oh yeah, it's brilliant. Even Sean McCorver's game, I was I was willing them to go on, you know, even when they got the two 0 I was I was buzzing for them because it's great for us as players to see that um playing the league and, and um seeing Sean McCorver go tuning up against Little Gretz was great and obviously saw the result afterwards buzzing for Pats as well. That's what it is like is to be honest, we're we we're, we're, we're we are the league, so it's um it's great for us and I hope, I know that they they'll see us do well as well. But um like, to be honest, we're, we're a big family with the league and we should be all looking out for each other, you know. Well, look, Gary, best luck getting ready for FEI Cup this Sunday and then getting ready for the trip across to Norway for next Thursday as well. It's a very exciting period for the Bitter Red. Thanks a million for joining us on OTBM. No worries. Thanks very much, Jared. And OTBM is brought to you each morning live by Gillette Labs for an effortless start to your day. And we'll continue our reaction to an amazing night for Irish football in Europe a bit later on in the programme. Uh, we're going to be joined by former St. Pat's winger Conan Byrne, who was on commentary on LOI TV last night for their win against Mura. Up next, though, we are switching our attention to the Euro 22 final between England and Germany and we'll be joined by the former Ireland manager, Sue Ronan. Back in a moment. OTB. 
Yep, I think the debate around venues is likely to continue about Sligo Rovers against Viking in two weeks' time. Chris, in contact on the YouTube Live comments, Markovich Park over Dublin, if the pitch was fit for purpose. Uh, bring these teams into Sligo and get our home advantage. Yeah, well, look, it's um, a huge opportunity for Sligo over these two legs to go one step closer to the Europa Conference League proper. And um, I'm sure the debates will go on about potential venues there. Delighted to say that we've got Sue Ronan with us now, the former Republic of Ireland manager, to look ahead to a sold-out Wembley this weekend, Sue, for what should be a really interesting final. A Germany team who I don't think too many people had down as potential winners here, but they're serial winners of this competition. And they're up against England, the hosts who've been very impressive in their run to the final. A very interesting final ahead. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think um, the two best teams in the tournament have got to the final. Um, I was probably one of those doubters about um, Germany before the tournament started. Uh, they've been, you know, they've, they haven't been the Germany we've known over the last couple of decades for uh, uh, the last few years, really. Um, they've had a few dodgy results, even in the World Cup camp- qualifying campaign. But once I saw them play, I, I was at their first game here in the in the group stages, and once I saw them play, I thought to myself, they're back to the Germany of old. You know, I thought they were strong, they were physical, they were organised, they were skillful, they were clinical, um, and they've gone about their business like that. So from from that moment on, I felt they'd be very hard to beat, and that's the way it's uh, proven. Um, on the other side, then you have England, obviously, uh, and again, I felt that they would be one of the teams to beat in this tournament. Uh, I think momentum has been building uh, in, in women's football here in England for a long time now. You know, they, they've we, we've spoken about it before the resources that has gone into the game. Uh, they've now got the best league in the world here for for, for uh, women. It's a professional league. Most of the top players are playing here. Um, and just the momentum has been building. And then, of course, at home advantage, you know, you you, you can never bet against the hosts in, in any tournament. But I think they've proven uh, they deserve to be in the final along with Germany on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, with the exception of probably having to eke out the results a bit against Spain in the quarterfinal, England have swept their way very impressively to this final. They're scoring goals freely. We can talk about Bet Mead against Alex Pop and the race for the Golden Boot in a few moments. But like England haven't looked like they're conceding that many chances. And the Spain game aside, you know, the perhaps maybe the, the pressure of expectation of being the home team doesn't seem to have got to them. They've played some really nice football on the run to Wembley. They really have. Um, and you know, the opening game, I guess, they looked a little bit nervous against Austria in, in a packed old Trafford. Um, many of those girls probably had never played in, in, uh, in front of a crowd like that. And, of course, the expectations of a, a host team and opening the tournament. And, you know, everyone thought maybe they won that game 1-0 and, and we were wondering were they at their best. But as it turned out, Austria were actually a very good team, you know, and got to the quarterfinals themselves. Um, but after that then, yes, they obliterated a, a much fancy Norwegian team. They got by the North pretty easily. And then they were tested, of course, against Spain in the quarterfinals. And for 80 minutes, they were under the cosh. You know, they didn't really play well. But then uh, the coach made a couple of changes, a couple of tactical changes. And once they scored the first goal, there was no looking back. Um, they, they were always going to win that game. And I think Spain showed a little bit of a soft centre that I've mentioned, you know, like they, they've been very good and they are very good. They're missing, they are missing two of their, their better players, of course, in this tournament. Um, but they, they have all the skill in the world. They play lovely football, but unfortunately that doesn't always lead to the goals that they should be scoring. And when you don't score goals, you're not going to win games, you know. But 
for me, England are looking very strong. They are starting games a little bit slowly, though. I was concerned again against Sweden the other night. Um, I'm sure you saw it. Sweden could have been 2-0 up after five or ten minutes. Mary Earps pulled off a great save. Um, another there was a, another opportunity went begging so it's just taken them a little bit of a, a little while to get into their stride so I, I I think if that happens on Sunday they could be in trouble um, but I, I still fancy them I think with the momentum there the home crowd and, and of course the, the the front players they have I think they'll just about pick the Germans. In Germany, they've had a fantastic season so far, a fantastic tournament. They've only conceded one goal all the way to the final. That's something that's really going to stand to them and England are going to have to probably break down to be able to to get in on goal. Yeah, for sure. And that one goal was um, the other night against France and it's really gone down as an OG now goalkeeper because, uh, as you saw, I came off the the upright and then back off her into the goal. So they've been very strong at the back. And and again, when I go back to that first game, I saw them play against Denmark. Um, That stood out for me really. You know, I I was really impressed with their back line and particularly the number five, um, Hegering. I, I think she's an outstanding centre half. She she actually underhit a couple of passes the other night and maybe could have put her team in, in trouble, but I really do think the back four, the full backs are very good. Two centre halves are very good. I think as a team they defend very, very well. And if you look at the the, the game against France, um the danger the, the the front three front three for the French were the danger players and they've been they're so pacey the wingers uh, Diani and Cascarino and they've been scoring goals for fun in other games but if you look at the way Jeremy defended against them it wasn't even just in the 1v1s you know no player was left isolated there was two and three players uh, ganging up on, on, on those danger players for France every time they got the ball so they defended really well as a team and snuffed out any danger and that's going to be something that, that England is going to have to break down obviously to, if they're going to win this game yeah, Germany press very effectively, Sue, and it doesn't seem to matter the type of opposition that they play. I saw their game against Austria and the France game, and in both cases, you say they hunt in packs, they will put pressure on from the front, and they make themselves incredibly difficult to play through. Yeah, they absolutely smothered Germ- uh, France the other night. Um, you know, as I said, those danger players in the wide areas, they they weren't allowed to turn, they weren't allowed to get one-on-one with the fullbacks. They, the, the midfield player, there was always a midfield player coming over to support the fullback. The winger was there supporting and they just hunted in packs, as you say, and smothered out that danger. And they put so much physically into that game in the first half of the night. I was actually concerned going into the second half that they mightn't have enough left in the tank. Um, and especially, uh, you know, the fact that France got that um, goal just before half time, and they were going to have that bit of momentum with them in the second half because just before that, for 10 or 15 minutes before that, you could see that weakness in the French that, I, again, I've spoken about before that I also think is there at the Spanish. The heads were dropping. They were giving out to each other. There was misplaced passes. It looked like some players maybe, you know, weren't up for the challenge. So I thought the momentum might swing with the equaliser. But the Germans just continue to do in the second half what they were doing all first half. And they're physically very, very fit and they press so well all over the pitch. That's really a big strength of theirs and it's going to be difficult for England to break that down. The Germany captain, Alex Pop, has spoken a few times in the tournament about how thankful she was that it went back by a year so that she was able to play. And she's spoken about how previously she was injured and missed major tournaments. And she's here to kind of make an impression and to make up maybe for lost time. She has been so clinical. And I was watching the Koi gig pod and Karen Duggan was making the point yesterday that one of the things England will have to deal with with Pop is that she's got a very different kind of physical profile compared to some of the other attackers that England will have to defend against. We're talking about a player who is 
Ravenous coming into the tournament, who will, again, as you mentioned, press along with her teammates and who's been tremendously clinical in front of goal throughout the tournament too. Yeah. Alexandra Pop's been around a long time. And um, when I was managing the under-19s, uh, our under-19s back in up to 2010, she was um, an underage player. We came across her a few times uh, as an underage player with Germany and it was obvious the talent she had and she brought something so different. Her physicality, uh, she's a big presence uh, on and off the pitch um, and her ability, obviously. And for sure, this is something that England maybe haven't faced and be a real test, particularly for, for Millie Bright. But, you know, I'm so happy for, for Alexandra Pop. It's, it's a great story. She She's missed the last two European championships through injury, the 2013-2017 edition. Uh, the Germans won in 2013. They didn't in, in 2017, but she missed both of those. And as you say, she would have missed this tournament if it had been on last year. I think she only came back in April from injury. Um, didn't start the tournament. Uh, Schuller was in ahead of her, but got in and came on and scored. And then Schuller got uh, COVID and she stayed in ever since and she scored in every game. And what goals she scored. I mean, her header the other night, the first goal was a fantastic goal. It really was. But I just thought her header was superb. You know, the the, the movement, the, the power and the desire. And that's going to be something that England are, you know, are really going to have to try and nullify because she's such a powerful header of the ball and she's probably one of the best in, in the women's game herself. I put her up there with Abby Wombach from the, the States who was a fantastic header of a ball as well, you know. So that's going to be, a, a, that's going to be something that will be, you know, I'm sure England are working on and how to nullify that. But yeah, what a player and what a story for her. And, you know, I, I do hope England win the tournament, but on the other hand, you're, you're looking at Alexandra Pop and you wouldn't be grudging her, um, her if Germany won it. Yeah, absolutely not. And as you said, Sue, that, that power, how do you stop a player like that? It, it, it seems near impossible. Like, as you said, her two goals, it was impossible at times. She got her foot to it, but the power she got to it, even though she yeah. just barely could fully get her full foot to it yeah. in that first yeah. goal and the header, how do you nullify yeah. a player like that? You have to try and cut out the surface, I guess, is the first part, you know, and if you can't do that because you're not going to do that all the time either, and especially with Jeremy, like their wingers are so good and they're so fast and, um, you know, they've hooped on one side and brand on the other. And I'd say um, Boole might come back into the equation if her, she's recovered from COVID. That's the number 19 who played wide on the left. She, again, has been super for them and they're the supply chain for Pop, you know, and Pop drops into midfield as well and sets up play. She's a great hold up centre forward. But for those crosses coming out of the box, you just you have to double up on her. You have to try to disrupt her, put her off her rhythm. But she has such desire and, you know, power. Um, and you can see the way she celebrates as well. Like it means so much to her. It's just going to be very, very difficult. It really is. So when it comes to the occasion, like we've talked about records tumbling along the way and, you know, Camp Nou earlier this year where we had a classico between Real Madrid and Barcelona and the place is packed to the rafters. Wembley is going to be packed. There's been good attendances across this tournament. In many ways, England was probably the perfect place to host this, but it's going to be a very special occasion for Wembley this coming Sunday for this final. Yeah, yeah. And that occasion could get to the English players, you know, um, because the expectation on them now is growing, the weight on their shoulders. Um, I, I'm in London at the moment in, in my sister's and she lives around the corner from where the, the uh, team hotel is and there's helicopters going over all the time and they never see helicopters, you know. But yeah, the weight is growing. The weight of expectation is growing on the English team. The, as you said, the, the um, 
the records have been, you know, breaking in every round. They're they're expecting over eighty thousand on uh, on on Sunday. There's a clamor for tickets. People are paying crazy money now for tickets, and I think it's gonna it's gonna break the record for a European final men and women. I think the the highest record is uh, sixty nine thousand in the men's one some years ago. That could get to the to the players. Um, I'm sure they've all the right people around them to try make sure it doesn't. But at the end of the day, we're only human. People are only human. Players are only human. Um, and and that's the piece that I worry about because they have all the skill England have. They they have players that can come off the bench and change the game. You know, the players on the pitch that can change the game. They're going to have the crowd behind them, the momentum behind them. You're just hoping that they start well and they don't let the occasion get to them because, you know, as a player, there's nothing as bad as if you don't perform to the best of your ability uh, on the pitch, you know, if you let the occasion get to you. So hopefully it doesn't, but what an occasion it's going to be. I think the Germans will relish that. They're used to playing in front of big crowds. That's not going to really face them, I wouldn't think. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how England deal with that. Yeah, remarkable to see 12 million Germans watch the game against France during the week as well, which is a huge TV audience. And I was even thinking for here, Sue, it's probably no great coincidence. It was a killer that Ireland didn't get to go to a, world, to a European Championships, which were you know, on our doorstep, uh, which would have been fantastic if they had got through against Ukraine and qualified. But the World Cup qualifier is very much on the horizon. I think it's no coincidence that Talis sold out really quickly this week for the upcoming World Cup qualifier against Finland. That's probably the knock-on effect of this. People are watching some good football on the TV right now. And there's a clamour for tickets here uh, to watch Vera Pau's side over the next while as well. Yeah, and that's the knock-on effect, you know, and the coverage has been great on TV and everyone in the games have been on and, you know, on regular TV, you haven't had to go on the internet, look for them as such, and, you know, the analysts have been great. And it's great to see our own players there analysing the game, you know, and they're the role models for the young kids. Um, but, yeah, that match, the game against Finland has sold out in six minutes or something. I think I went on about an hour later to get some tickets for my nieces and missed out. But, you know, that that the game is growing everywhere and um, I think having the tournament so close to us in England and, you know, I mean, even the men's side of the game, we, we always look to, to the men's game here and we were big followers of it. And, you know, I think we're big followers of the women's game here in England as well. We know a lot of the players, our own players have played with many of them. Um, they've been teammates, our teammates with them, you know, and I think... I, I, I think it will have even a, a better knock-on effect of England win um, for us. I think it raised the profile, you know, of the game. And, yeah, it's just, it's growing everywhere. And it's great. It's great to see. I think that's going to be the big legacy in this tournament, you know, those big attendances and new fans coming into the, the sport. And it's not just women and girls, it's men, it's it's families, it's older men, younger men, younger women, older women. And, and that's what you want to see. You know, it's football at the end of the day and, yeah, it's just great to see the interest there now. Yeah, no, the product's been really good at the Euros as well. You've mentioned that you want England to win on Sunday, but who are you expecting to win on Sunday? <laughs> I'm going to st- I'm going to stick with them now. I, I I haven't gone against them yet, even though I was looking dodgy there against Spain. I'm going to say two one England. Okay, um, I could go to extra time. I could go all the way, um, but I, I'm going to stick my neck out and say two one England. Not sure the English would be able to take the uh, excitement of penalties against Germany if it was to go that far. But we'll see how we go. I'm not, I'm not sure they would. No. <laughs> Sue, enjoy the occasion at Wembley. It's going to be a great one on Sunday afternoon. Will do. Thanks, lads. Many thanks there to uh, former Republic of Ireland boss Sue Run. Note to BM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs. It's an effortless finish to your day. We will be turning our attention next to Sunday's All-Ireland uh, Ladies Football Final between Meath and Kerry. We're going to be joined on the line next by Meath's Jenny Rispin. But first, it is time for the GEA Quick Picks All-Ireland Final Special. 
Some of these critics, these pundits. I absolutely adore them lads. I have unbelievable time for them, but they're, they're a great bunch, but it's not acceptable. I'd like to play the hard man when, when they're on it. It's not very pleasant when you're trying to manage a team. All you're looking for is a bit of civility and a bit of decency, but they just dismiss you like, like you, you know, you have nothing to do with the bloody occasion. Now, the Quick Picks winners of the last three years are right here, you and I. Where's Adrian Barry? Not here. Well, Tommy Rooney, I, I don't know if I, I'm not a winner. Not yet. Ah, you're, you're ahead of everybody. Unless something dramatic is going to happen. I don't know if <laughs> the percentages. Ah, here they are. Soon. Oh, no, Tommy's gone level with you. 76. Oh! Wow. What? Okay, this is a lot closer than I thought it was. I thought you were a bit further ahead of Tommy. I've written Tommy off way too quickly. Owen and Adrian, look at how far they are behind us, though. I don't know how that works now. So last week I was in the lead. Mm. And me and Tommy had the same, the same teams. And you both picked Kerry to win, right? Yeah. This is pretty questionable. Yeah, so we need to look into that. Yeah. We need an independent observer to look at these uh, stats at the end of this. But Colm, our producer, is just throwing his hands up to heaven and saying, look, these are the stats. This is what I think it's... Uh, mainly been Cameron, who's been watching them over the last while. I much prefer when there wasn't actually a table. But okay. Hey, we still got what the did commod- you do then? I don't know. We just kind of went. Oh yeah, <laughs> our predictions weren't great last week. I kind of like that. We go. No, we're all doing really well. I, I think. Look, a seventy-six percent, and my guess was that seventy-two percent hit rate's not bad. Not bad. And you won it last year. I did the last two years. Did you get it in for it? Will no. Asked up. I got. I got to do um, a video back to Adrian because I was away. I think at the time, and the volume was down on the video on YouTube. So that's how much. That's how much celebration I got. That <laughs> lovely. I think, Another, he, I think people heard it on OTB Sports Radio. So if people are listening in that way this morning, you know, you're guaranteed to hear everything. Uh, but unfortunately for the YouTube, the volume was down when I was uh, giving my address. That wasn't Adrian doing that on purpose, do you know? <laughs> yeah, I got a promotion apparently as well, according to Colin. Oh right, okay, good stuff. Yeah, I think uh, you should absolutely have a little uh, medal at least trophy. Yeah. yeah, maybe we'll, we'll bring gold, that in. Gold, silver and bronze. Because we only at this stage, I think, given that we're this week only doing the senior ladies football final, we'll probably do the senior camogie final for next week. So we've only got two games left. So given that you Same and I chance. almost certainly have had the same pick this week, you or Tommy are going to win. Yeah, well, I'm, we're still going to um, look into that now. I'm not fully uh, sure if that is the exact result. We'll look at the calculations. Let's, let's have a look <laughs> at the graphic then and see who everyone has picked because Tommy... Adrian and Owen are all in abstention. Look at Owen going for pride here <laughs> and going for Kerry just to create the Mead flag in the middle of the predictions too. Exactly. Uh, with one piece of yellow through the green. Um, right. Tell me why Mead are going to win, Ash, before we can consider how Kerry could win. I think it's going to be a really close game. And the reason that I'd say that Mead might be able to push on is because they did it in game after game against Galway in the last kick of the game. Emma Duggan stood up. They know how to do it in those crucial moments, in the dying minutes. So if it comes down to that, which I think it might, it might go the whole way to the wire and it might come down to the last few minutes, then I would be back in me to be able to push on because they've been in that situation time and time again. So for me, um, that's where where I see it being being won and lost. Now, it, who knows, like if, if Kerry can break down their defensive structure, if they can get in on goal, they're well able to score goals. They did it against Mayo, but it was very easy against Mayo to get those goals, I felt. You know, that at times they, it looked like they were going to score goals again and again. They were just really walking through that defence. Um, 
and look, I spoke with some of the Mayo uh, management and stuff after a team and they said that's how it felt to them. You know, it, it wasn't a, gr- a great performance by them, especially in that first half. Much better in the second half. But uh, yeah, they're, they're dangerous going forward. But uh, I don't think they're going to have as much freedom against Mead. So for me, just just about, I would say Mead will, will edge it. But yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. Yeah, look, um, I take Noel Healy's point from yesterday's OTBM that this Kerry team, many of them have been around for a while. They've still got players who were there a decade ago and they were last in the final and they are backboning that team. You had your video, Ash, which went viral with Louise Galvin, who's come back in to uh, bolster her panel this year only a few months after she's given birth. And these are, you know, a help for Kerry. I thought Kerry played pretty well against Mayo. watched the game in the telly a couple of weeks ago when the doubleheader was on. But I was... A bit like you, maybe a bit more impressed by what Meath had to do. They were up against a Donegal team who had put a full lockdown on Dublin in the round before. It was looking a little bit ropey for me at different times in trying to break them down. And then Meath still had the X factor. In that case, it was Emma Duggan just scoring remarkable points. And when you've got talents like that and you've got Ficky Wall, maybe you've got Stacey Kyo, these type of players who can make a difference up front. I think if there are difficult questions posed of Meath in this final this weekend, I'm sure you're going to agree with everything I've just said. <laughs> I think they can find the answers. Yeah, and like things have happened throughout the games. They've got Simbins. You know, they had a yellow card for, for Vicky, for Moira. They had that in the Leinster final against Dublin as well. I know they didn't come out on top that day, but they don't seem to panic. And that is a massive thing with this team that when it comes right down to, to the last minute, dying minutes to get over the line, they don't panic and they're able to push on. So for me, that's where it'll come down to. It's All-Ireland final day. Hopefully we'll have a big crowd in Crow Park. It's a massive occasion for both teams really massive now for Kerry you know that they haven't been there in so long as you mentioned Louise Galvin Louise Nimar Hurt these players that have been there time and time again you know this is their chance and they're going to look at it like that this is their chance these days don't come around too often so they're not going to let it pass them by too easy that's for sure and I'm sure their management um, are going to have their, their homework done on me they know exactly how they play but hopefully they stick to their their way of playing and they don't change it up completely to try and you know play against Mead in a way to, to stop them I think it's going to be more play your own style uh, trust the process trust what why you've got here you know in the first place because they do play a great brand um, but yeah uh, it, it, they're a great team they're a great side and you couldn't write them off well you really couldn't Yeah I'm hugely looking forward by the way to the intermediate final which is the all Leinster f- affair between Wexford and Leash these two team, teams played an absolute cracker in Port Leash earlier this year in the Leinster semi-final uh, Leash were up by double digits in the game and Wexford somehow fought back and in the sixth minute of injury time, the equalised, sent it to extra time won in extra time, you would have thought maybe that would have had some psychological scarring for Leash, but the last day out Leash played against Clare in Roscommon in Kiltoum and managed to win after extra time in the heat, Moan Ernie scored 114, 110 of it from play which incredible. is just absolutely incredible, incredible story about Moan Ernie, last time that Leash played in the final was the senior decider in 2001, guess who was the mascot for Leash on the day? Yes, it was her <laughs> and her best memory was getting a cooked breakfast on the way to the game which was her reward for being the mascot for the Leash team and this time she goes out to lead them out basically as their main player in the final against Wexford so the intermediate that's final that's, that's uh, really it's, it's a magic story yeah. I think during the middle of the pandemic it was the 20th anniversary and there were mm-hmm. photos of Mo who um, you know was basically there with all the players and effectively being brought around before the game and they were all keeping an eye on her and then there's still some of the players that have just retired in the last year or two that were there on the day too so she's still that link back to their team in 2001 but Wexford a bit like Meath got to the final lost the final mm-hmm. they'll now look to win an intermediate final and we'll see how they kick on after that delighted to say that we've got Meath legend uh, former Jew player Jenny Rispin with us as well Jenny how are you getting on this morning? 
morning, folks. All good, thank you. Um, give me give me a reason then. You can play devil's advocate for us here. Why Mead should be worried about Kerry this coming Sunday? Yeah, look, first of all, I think everyone seems to be back in Mead at the moment, so Kerry would only be delighted with that. Um, but yeah, look, Kerry have got where they are. It's, it's, it's great to see, again, a new team coming into the All-Ireland final again. You know, it's only healthy for the game and it's only fantastic and uh, creating a great buzz again um, within, you know, within the LGFA Championships. Um, yeah, so Ashton covered a lot of the reasons there why, why Mead could possibly win and, and, and Kerry have reasons to be optimistic as well. But um, you know, so the well hardened, well battle team. So uh, these teams, you know, they're they're getting familiar with each other. I know last year's league campaign. Um, you know, I think Kerry beat Mead in, in the round game, uh, and obviously then you know Mead overturned them in the in the final. Uh, in a completely different game, and it's probably a game where Mead really announced themselves as a as a force to be reckoned with. But you know, so Kerry, you know, they haven't gone away. They've continued to build. Um, you know, so they have, I think they have the ability within their team to cause me serious problems this weekend. Um, and I'd probably look, you know, you said you're looking at, the, you're talking about the goal getters at, at one end, but I would actually say probably further out the field, they have players that really kind of attack me from, I suppose, from deep and from wide areas. Um, you know, you look at that even the last day, you know, who was getting the scores from their half back line in particular. Uh, and looking at, you know, St Mead this year, you know, it, it's probably from those areas that have caused them the most trouble. And I would say from the last day, you know, those late runs, uh, bursting runs through the defence, um, you know, those those gaps there to be, to be found in, in that Mead defence when, when you move the ball quick enough. And even against Galway, they were, they were trying to find uh, space in the back door as well. So, look, plenty of reasons for, for Kerry to be optimistic as well. I think it can only create a great atmosphere, a great game um, and a great prospect, I think. Yeah, because when you look at the style of the two teams, they both like to be defensively solid at the start, but they're both really good on the break, which was really clear in the two semi-finals. So we could well have a very good attack and counter-attack affair on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know that's, that is the key. It's on the counter-attack, which defence can organise itself quickly enough. Um, and me are going to be used to that. You know, so they've a lot thrown at them the last couple of years, and they've, they've shown the answers. Um, but yeah, I think it, it will be said if if Kerry can catch Mead on the break quick enough, um, because Mead they will attack in droves, they will attack in numbers, um, but they obviously come back in, in just as as, much, as many numbers as well. Um, so if Kerry can attack them quick enough, and and they will, you know, so they've the, the great speed there, and Eve Carmody especially on the half forward line. Um, showing real industrial kind of uh, vision going forward um, and, and making things happen. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not the usual suspects, you know, like uh, the talk about Rosemary Hartig and how deadly she is and she will be, but um, I'd say it'd be further out the field where, where Kerry will find joy. And as I say, it's, it's that counter attacking style. Uh, Mead will, you know, so they will hold it tight, um, you know, probably for the start of the game, they tend to. Uh, I don't know. They always like to have us on the edge of the seat and a half-time question. God, what is this going to be the day? And this, you know, 10, 15 minutes spell after half-time, they just seem to turn it on. You know, push up on the kickouts and really kind of put you know any team that's against them uh, put their backs to the wall, and and that's really where they, they seem to win every game. Yeah, it's going to be look a change for me with players going to Australia for next year and. Unfortunately, for those who are losing players to Australia now, it's a bigger impact than it was previously because of the length of the AFLW season. But I just think about it's remarkable how Mead have come up the ranks because I remember watching them in Division 3 of the Ladies National Football League not that long ago. 
and here they are now having used the league in many ways going into Division 2 as a platform for championship and then working their way through the intermediate and becoming the best senior team in the country. It wasn't an overnight story. It was very gradual. But what a five or six years, Jenny, now as a Mead supporter, this team have given you. Yeah, <laughs> it has. It has been incredible. It, you know, you don't want to take any bit of it for granted. Uh, anyone that remembers, you know, come back years and look, we've just been good days before that as well, but uh, nothing compared to now. But if if you're, you know, if you're there, if you're a supporter during those times, you will want to lap these days up because, yeah, absolutely anything can happen. You know, things can turn around and things can change. You just want to enjoy every bit of it. Um, yeah, look, you have to credit, you know, the management team that have come in, uh, taken things by, the, you know, the, uh, the horns and you know, driven this me team on to, to show the potential that that has been there, you know, so it's, it, you know, there's been plenty of promise in the past. I know it's been spoken about, but, um, you know, it, it just shows the importance that, look, we see the skill level raising in the game now, which is, is so important. You, you girls are starting a lot younger, uh, a lot more time coaching put put into it. And now we can see the tactical side of it really kind of taking hold as well. So it's, it's, it's a team kind of with, that have a really grasp on, on the tactical side of it that are, that are um, proven successful. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, look, it's wonderful to, to be, you know, to, to watch it happen, to be part of it. Certainly haven't made it uh, easy or you know easy on the heart, but um, it's it's uh, it's just, you know it's going back. It's, I don't I don't know if it's a turning point or it has been gradual. Like it was a couple of years there in Division Three. Um, you know you can see they're just trying to build a process. And I look at Wexford even playing in the intermediate final. There was I know a few years ago Mead lost to Wexford I think in the, in the Leinster Championship. Um, and you know it's, it was a lot of stumbling blocks on the way for me they had to kind of go back and readdress things and even last year the league coming up to uh, Division 2 um, you know losing to Kerry but you know so just whatever clicked last year they, they got it right you know what they've been working on um, I sit here today actually only a few yards from Dungani pitch and there's plenty of um, hours put in there uh, where you know it's just really kind of brought us to this point and Jenny, you're being very modest because there was plenty of errors put in by you too. Bringing it back to, say, 2015, you were a player manager that year. You stepped in. Obviously, prior to that, you, you, you're you playing for me of 14, 15 years. And I think it was 2016 was your last year. But stepping in in 2015 when things were not in the best stage in Mead football, can you bring us back there? I to forget about it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, look, uh, yeah, for me that year it was tough. I, I, I kind of struggled to get back fitness with a couple of injuries and just the way the year panned out, I, I kind of had to take a bit of a break to kind of get myself fit again. And um, yeah, I got a phone call uh, from the county board to see, look what I, I see it out to the end of the year. Uh, you know, things happening going well. There's a lot of players coming and going. And, you know, look, every team goes through a transition and, and that can happen. Um, but, yeah, look, I can never can never say no too easily to, when, we, uh, when we come knocking. So, um, look, things couldn't have gone probably any worse for us at that time when, when I did step in. You know, I think even it was this, it was actually this time of the year, it was the bank holiday weekend, actually, that we were drawn to play Cork of all teams. Uh, I went down to watch Kerry. It could have been Kerry or Cork, and, and Cork actually lost that game. They lost to Kerry that year in the Munster Championship. And um, yeah, so you know, it's a, you're talking about a team kind of wounded coming back to bite us. And you know, a lot of people have been spoken about that game against Cork. And 
you know, it's days like those that, that build resilience of leaving players, you know, um, a lot of the current crop were, were playing that time and, you know, can't have been easy for them. A lot of them were young players and it, it would have been hard, but they responded absolutely fantastic. And, you know, so th- they always believed that there was something there with the need. I remember having conversations with, you know, or you know, even on the pitch after a couple of the games and, you know, it was, you know, Vicky Wall was only a young player, even Cleary. But, you know, they truly believed themselves that, you know, we can get this together and, and you know, we're not that far away if, if we can organise ourselves and we put in the effort. So, um, you know, that's what it's, it's, it's really stemmed from. And uh, tough days like that, you know, it's, it, it's, um, it's just as important as winning. Not to uh, take away from the occasion of the final at all, but just something that we've been debating over the last week or so in the office, particularly after the Camogie semi-finals from last weekend where there was 3,500 at the two senior games. In a way, have the Camogie Association and the LGFA maybe missed a trick here, Jenny, when you consider that the inter-county men's season is now done and dusted for this year and August is almost like a fallow month for Crow Park, that maybe the Camogie Association and the ladies' football might be better off starting a few weeks later and actually having the full profile of the month of August available for their knockout games. Yeah, possibly. Look, I can see a point in that. That um, you know, there's been a lot of talk, and even this week in, in Mead as well with, with a new manager. And you know, that there's there's a lot of talking on uh, different things. And you know, yeah, you, you kind of forget. You know, the, there's an All Ireland final coming up in a few weeks. Um, look, I, I put it on the other foot though. Um, you know, from the club point of view, uh, where that fits in, in in terms of the whole schedule. So, uh, you know, so it's it's quite difficult. Like as a club, we haven't had our county players so far this year. Um, and you know, if you were to push on and get a bit further, yeah, okay, maybe a few more weeks might not do any harm. But, um, you know, there's, there's also an eagerness to, to get back to club championship and have that started. But, um, yeah, look, anything that that can grow the game. Uh, look, all we want is, you know, in the ladies' football is to be taken seriously and to get that profile up and, you know, to have people uh, caring and, and, and uh, you know, looking out for it. Um, but, you know, so look, there's always going to be something else in the calendar you find. But um, maybe, you know, so maybe going forward that they could look at it in a few weeks, t- tighten up the schedule and having your big showpiece games, you know, stand alone and, you know, being even the, the main centre of attention of the media. And give us a prediction. Me either, Kerry, who's going to win on Sunday? Um, uh, me, of course. I, I said at the start of the year, I, I can't see this me team being beaten. Um, you know, whatever's been thrown at them, you know, and, and the beautiful thing is, you know, that the, the, the whole is, is, is greater than some of its parts, you know, so you have sin bins, um, which could play a part again on Sunday. Uh, you know, things, things happen in a game, players get injured, uh, but they've, they've just been rock solid the whole way through. Um, you know, they're not going to concede a whole lot. You know, Kerry, you know, so might rely on their goals the last few games. Uh, Mead haven't they've conceded maybe one or two the whole championship. Um, you know, they haven't been out gold, I think, in any team apart from the last game. Uh, it's, it's just hard to see a team outscore them at this stage and, and save those players that just step up in those, you know, it's all just been a game or, you know, a season of moments for Mead. Uh, the last couple of years, you know, just it's just like if you can hold strong for as long as possible, uh, this new team has been doing it. But, um, you know, to have the players just step up and, and make things happen, you know, just in an instant. And they can really suck the life out of other teams. And look, I don't see Sunday being any different. It's not to say that Kerry, you know, will come up and put, up, put in a great fight, but I, I can't see me being beaten. <laughs> 
Jenny, enjoy the game on Sunday. Thanks a million for joining us on OTBM. Thank you. Thank you very much. Again. And OTBM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Ash has been talking about something else beautiful, which is the new Celtic jersey as a Celtic fan. Let's have a look. This is a UAK, <laughs> I'm guessing. Yeah, I mentioned this yesterday to, to Colm, our producer. Um, I asked him, actually, we were having a call just about the show and I said, have you seen the, the new Celtic away top? Mm. And he's like, no, send us a link there. So the link didn't load for ages and eventually it did. And his reaction was, whoa. It reminds me of one of the 90s Celtic kits. That, That's, that was my favourite top. Yeah. yeah, it was. So it's, it's just a modern version of that, but it's pretty nice. What do you think, Will? Nice of it, yeah. Green, black, pinstripe. It's pretty yeah. nice. And in person, it's so much better as well. So, yeah, I'd love to, to see what people think because I think it has to be up there for one of the nicest tops. Yeah, throw us a comment. Yeah, comment to the live stream. Yes or no? Do you like this new Celtic top? I look. I think it's. I think it's very nice. Indeed. Mine is ordered. It's on the way. Yeah, I had a feeling this was going to be on the uh, the gift list probably. <laughs> um, because the thing with Celtic as well is because their colours and because their kits are so synonymous. I remember one year when the hoops were broken and people complained. It was like you cannot break the hoops on a Celtic jersey. It's very difficult to actually get a design that looks a little bit different but also nice. So the away kits tend to be a little bit more imaginative. Like Celtic yeah. have had some highlighter kits. They've had all sorts. The highlighter ones, it's exactly, yeah, are nice. Um, so that brighter green, that, that's been lovely as well. Um, personally for me, I like the black. I, lo- I love the black. Always have um, any black top in any jersey. Um, I'm, I'm always drawn towards that. But uh, yeah, in particular this one. And as you said, the, the older one, the more retro one. Mm. Um, I just recently got a new one of them um, off a retro site as well. So I, I love it. But uh, this one has to be up there for me. Do you have a favourite jersey, Will? Um, no, I'm not as much of a connoisseur as some of the people around here. Uh, Rich McCormick, Colin Bowie are definitely the two people when it comes to jerseys. Uh, Colin has even been getting some some cred from clubs in Cork because he's been wearing their kits over the last few days. So, oh. yeah, I think there probably will be a debate at some point about, you know, localised kits and what's the nicest local kit that's around. And uh, if you watch Richie whenever he's here, he will generally have an obscure Brazilian second division team yeah, or something along it. those lines. A team from, a retro jersey from a team who were behind the Iron Curtain possibly um, <laughs> so generally you know, he likes to mix it up a little bit I, I've never been a huge jersey man but I do appreciate when they're nice and I think that Celtic jersey looks really smart mm-hmm. um, by all means uh, disagree with us in the live comments on uh, the YouTube if you don't particularly like it but how do you reckon Celtic going on this season by the way Looking forward to it. It's really exciting. Um, some nice signings in there. Jada is uh, locked down, which is what we wanted. So that's great to see. Um, and yeah, just want to see them push on now. Obviously, Champions League, uh, that's really exciting times. You know, it's been a while since Celtic have been there. So uh, yeah, we're looking forward to that. And yeah, Ange has done a great job um, since he's came in. You know, a real likeable fella. And I think the job that he's done, it's it's been brilliant. The signings have been great. Um, Kyogo, we didn't probably get to see a lot of him in the in the later half of, the half of the season yeah, yeah. so even like when you look at that Hitate in the middle like all of these players that really haven't fully got to express themselves fully within this team and um, yeah they we've sh- we've seen moments of them but not fully uh, got going so yeah it's exciting to to see how they do but hopefully yeah we have a great season ahead I'm looking forward to it Will mm, Colm has just been in my ear is it Satellite FC or the team in court kicking out Satellite Taxis <laughs> Colm FC needs a shout the out. team to catch out um, they were in the YouTube comments yesterday you know, quite thankful for the fact that Colm was giving them a shout out so um, if you're keeping an eye on Satellite Taxis FC Colin Boog is your man he is the hype man uh, that that Cork team need now Simpa uh, provided heroics in Europe last night by beating the Slovenian side Mora, who beat 
Spurs in the group stages of the Conference League last year they won on penalties in Slovenia it was a remarkable finish to the game I'd say we are joined now by former Pats winger Conan Byrne who was on commentary alongside Oisín Langan on LOI TV as well Conan how are you getting on this morning? Not too bad, Will. How are you yourself and Ashling Ashling doing? Yeah, look, we're, we're great because, I mean, it's been a morning to celebrate uh, what's happened in the League of Ireland this week. Uh, we were talking to the boys from Sligo earlier. The Pats lads are on their way back. We believe they're on a train at the moment to Vienna. So a uh, tricky enough trip back from Slovenia, but they won't mind that too much after what was a remarkably dramatic way to win in the end and a fantastic performance by their unknown goalkeeper as well. Yeah, it was just a, a crazy game. Um, I think a lot of people expected them not to do as well as they did, especially not to go through anyway. Um, but after the first leg, there was a lot of hope and expectation within the group itself that they could go over to Slovenia and put on a good performance. Um, and they did that in spades. They were absolutely superb from minute one to minute 121. Um, as you mentioned, Joe Anang in, in goal was fabulous. He made three or four world-class saves, in particular in extra time from a shot from Michael Kleepak on the edge of the box. I don't know how he got to it. A, a remarkable save. It reminded me of Gavin Bazunu's save in, against Portugal um, from outside the box that time. But it was just, as I said, from every every player on the pitch, even the substitutes that came on, it was just a remarkable performance. And Tim Clancy and the backroom team would be very proud of each and every one of its players. Yeah, like plenty of nervy moments. I think back even to the 25th minute, the first of those really good saves. Daku gets in behind. Uh, Pats don't hold the line particularly well. And then again, it's just like a point-blank save, which probably should have been scored, but a remarkably good save. Yeah, obviously, Daku, given his experience at Kosovo International, you're expecting him 1v1 to, to slot at home. But Anang stayed big and, and got a great right hand to it. But just before that, Will, Barry Cotter had a wonderful chance to put Pats into the lead from a corner kick. Joe Redmond got a touch on it and he was three yards out. Nobody, to, it was harder to miss and um, he skied it over the bar with his head when he was easier to score. So, yeah, there was, was I, th- I think Pats created the more dangerous chances. However, Joe Anang, the on-loan goalkeeper from West Ham United, he definitely earned his, uh, his wages this week. Yeah, Pats carried a threat. Like there was a ball that flashed across goal, which Owen Doyle nearly got to as well. It wasn't like Pats didn't fashion plenty of chances in Slovenia last night. Absolutely not, and they created a lot of chances themselves in Dublin the previous week. And I think we've got to remember Mura hadn't conceded uh, or had conceded every goal in every game over the last fifteen. It's the first time they haven't conceded a goal in the game was last night, um, and funnily enough, they got knocked out for it. But yeah, they created chances. Chances you mentioned Serge Atakai there. He came off the bench. He just come in from from the Finnish league, where the assistant manager Jonathan Daly has been working over the last number of years. So they brought him in. He came off the bench. He, his decision making wasn't great on the night. If I'm being completely brute, brutally honest about it, um, he got into very dangerous positions and final ball and and final strike weren't weren't what they should be at that level. But having said that, he got into the areas and he probably should have squared the, the chance you're talking about. He had a great opportunity just to square the ball to Owen Doyle for a simple tap-in. He went for goal and it just went wide. But as I said, against a, a team that were in the Europa Conference League last year, coming up beating Spurs, um, it, everybody was expecting them. And probably themselves as well, Will, were expecting them, them to go through. And um, Pat showed that with a bit of heart, a bit of determination, a bit of luck as well, 
that things can go away, can go the Irish way as well. Yeah, because I think that was very much the feeling coming out of the first leg at Richmond a couple of weeks ago was that you know Chris Forrester's goal had given Pat's genuine hope that they could go to Slovenia and potentially get a result. But most people, I think, would have expected it was going to be a difficult night for Pat's. Like this is coming up against a team with reasonable, as you say, recent European pedigree as well, and knocking them out. Absolutely. They, that, does, I know they made a couple of new signings. They lost a couple of players due to the fact that they were they did so well in Europe. But Tim Clancy mentioned last week at, at post-match that it was as if they didn't respect St. Pat's um, last week. And, and again, last night, you, you wouldn't, in the first half, you wouldn't have known who was playing Europa Conference League football last season. Pat's put it up to them. They were really good, strong defensively. I think captain on the night, Joe Redmond, was absolutely superb. The youngest captain ever to, to captain and Pat's in Europe, um, led by example, Tom Gravozzi and Harry Brockbank, either side of him. Harry is just brought in from um, from USL in, in, in America. He spent time at Bolton Wanderers. His first taste of European football. And most of these players, I think it was eight players last week made their European debut out of the 11 that started. And shows shows the lack of experience. They've played a new formation now as well. They've played with wing backs and a box in midfield, which Tim Clancy hadn't used all season. So even Tim deserves huge credit with the risks that he made in this game over the course of the two legs. And they fully deserve their win over the course of, of the of the two two games. The penalties couldn't have been any more nervy. Uh, for anyone who didn't see it, two penalties each are missed within the five. Redmond then puts away his penalty and it's all set up then for potentially continuing on the sudden death and the Muir penalty taker skies it over the crossbar Pats go through huge relief um, to have to commentate on that um, as a former Pats player kind of an easy last night No and, and you're doing it from you know, obviously we're, we weren't in Slovenia as well so it was difficult to kind of grasp the atmosphere at the ground when, when you're actually not there yourself but yeah it, 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 I was very confident with the penalties that were going that, that St. Pat's were going to take. Pat's over the years have a very good record. I remember playing in the League Cup um, competition in 2015 and the, we, we won the penalty shootouts in quarterfinals, semifinals and finals. Obviously, Pat's won the, the FAI Cup last year against Bohemians on penalties as well. And um, Although this was the first taste of penalties in Europe for Pat's, I still had great faith in, in the players that were going to come up. I, 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 pick, I selected four out of the five pre, uh, pre-penalty shootouts, so I was close to getting the five right that Tim had selected but um, yeah just wonderful penalties and um, like as I said with the with, with the Mura ones player who missed Ty Sipo and skied it over the bar but he's probably the unfortunate one because three or four before him had very very close to going over the bar as well very surprisingly all the Mura uh, spot kicks were went high into the goal and something that you don't, wouldn't usually see in a penalty shootout because you're taking a huge risk um, letting the ball come off the ground, but St. Pat's did did the job, and uh, Joe and I made some crucial saves, as I said, in in the game itself, but also importantly in the penalty shootout. And to do it away from home, to go to penalties, win it that way, it obviously gives you a hell of a lot of confidence now going into the next round. Yeah, absolutely, and it doesn't. Again, you're just going to make that step up up against CSKA Sofia with vast experience international experience South American players that are that are fantastic Usado Garces two Brazilians that are going to be the, the talking points possibly you have um, uh, Domov as well he's going to, he's a Bulgarian international so creative midfielder so yeah you're going to be coming up against a, a superior a more superior team to Mura but 
as you say, Ashling, it's it's all about confidence going into these games, and they'll be completely full of it. Now they do have an FAI Cup game against Waterford on Sunday. It'll be interesting to see what team selection Tim picks for that game. But these players have earned the right to play in this game against CSK Sofia. And they're so young. The likes of Adam O'Reilly, 21 years of age on loan from Preston, who was magnificent yesterday in the centre of the park. Over the two games, he was brilliant. You have Chris Forrester, who can do anything with a football. The technique that he shows in, 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 in parts of the pitch where you're nearly afraid to receive the ball he's, he's, he's exceptional and then you have 34 year old Owen Doyle up front who's come home from, from England's experience European football again and uh, his selfless running and, and movement was, was something to behold last night as well so they have nothing to fear they have absolutely nothing to fear nothing to prove either um, they'll be the under, complete underdogs in this game but they, but they have earned the right now and hopefully they can do themselves justice yeah, players like Owen Doyle are so important. We were talking about Aidan Keena coming back to Sligo a little bit earlier on the programme that they bring that experience of playing at a reasonably high level and then come back in. And I remember Owen Doyle was sitting here with, in studio with us on a Saturday here in OTB at the start of the season and we're asking him about, you know, coming back, having had a good few years in the lower uh, leagues in England recently and the fact that he had other options but decided to come to St. Pat's. And he was talking about Europe being a key reason why he signed for the club. I mean, obviously, domestically, you won't do well and Pat's won't want to surrender the FAI Cup this weekend and will won't do well in the league but for attracting players in a good run in Europe quite aside from the financial benefits is huge for a club Absolutely massive and you mentioned Owen Doyle there and sometimes players that come back from England at his age will get a reputation of just finishing off your career and and not in it you're just in it for us to kind of top up your top up your money before you the end of your career but that's far from what Owen Doyle has done. He could have signed a, a, a big deal at Shamrock Rovers as well, turned that down. He worked with Tim Clancy when the both of them played at Hibernian and they have a wonderful relationship both on and off the pitch. So um, he signed for the right reasons. As he said, European football is huge. He hadn't experienced it in over a decade since he's been with Sligo Rovers as well. So um, for him to come back and um, play in Inchicore, and he's a, certainly a, a fan favourite already. He's already scored 10 league goals this season. Um, he'll probably admit himself he probably should have more but um, yeah a, a brilliant player to have around the dressing room and he's full of positivity with those young players and it's needed because there is a, a lack of experience in the squad as well Yeah it's a good response from Pats too when you consider being rocked after the cup final Steve O'Donnell goes to Dundalk it brings Robbie Benson with him one of Pat's most important players ok Pat's were able to hold on to some of the really important ones like Chris Forrester to be around the squad but Pat's had to rebuild and rebuild on the back of success which is never the easiest thing to do you know, you're on the high of having had a good season and next thing your coach and one of your best players is ripped away your coach your best players your assistant manager um, and two or three more players as well John Mountney Sam Bone just mm. to name a few as well so they, they were ripped apart um, and the, the, it's crazy when you look at last night's performance because there was only one player that started la- two players that started last night that started the cup final a little over eight months ago so it just shows to sh- goes to show the job that Tim Clancy has done and, and they hired him very very quickly they knew Gareth Kelleher the, 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 the owner of St. Pat's he knew who he wanted went after him in the right in the right way you could say and um, got his man and, and um, yeah, they, they they started okay and then they kind of dipped a little bit um, in league form. But the European spell now has just shot, just shown what what this squad is capable of. And as I said, the the recruitment has been key because they lost, as you say, so many good players, good influential, experienced players. And holding on to Chris Forrester was key. But the likes of Owen Doyle coming in, bringing in Adam O'Reilly, like I mentioned, 
Barry Cotter was a wonderful signing on loan from Shamrock Rovers for the European campaign. But I think with with Yaros in goal last season, he was the he everybody was saying that you cannot replace him when he went back to Liverpool. But they brought in Joseph Anang and a lot of a lot of Pats fans are saying that he's even better than, than Miroslav Yaros. So it's um that's a that's a huge compliment to Joseph Anang, but he's been absolutely superb. Yeah, it's a, exciting times and these European nights, like it's it's what the players play for. You know, it's, it's such a buzz, and you can feel around the League of Ireland as a whole now that it's great. It's such it's such a buzz around it. Absolutely, Ashley, and and, and and the nerd that's in me, like I'm thinking about the coefficient, obviously as well. When it's increasing, when you have three fantastic victories during the week, which is great for Irish football, you have Shamrock Rovers who had a magnificent result against Ludogorets, albeit they went out. It's just unfortunate the way their first leg had gone and then Sligo Rovers wonderful performance both home and away um, to Motherwell and then obviously St. Pat's beating Murray yesterday it's 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 just so good to see three um, SSE or Tristy League teams still in Europe going into August it's something that we don't see regularly enough um, hopefully Shamrock Rovers can can push on and, and get to a group stage if I'm being honest I think it's beyond Sligo and St. Pat's given the 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 opposition that they're going to be facing um, over the next couple of weeks. But having said that, these guys have nothing to fear now. They have, they've showed what they can do. They've earned a lot of money for it. And best of luck to them now um, in the coming weeks. Yeah, I think I saw on the coefficients, there's two countries outside the top 30 in Europe who've got multiple teams left in Europe at this stage, Malta and the Republic of Ireland. So just goes to show the achievement. I think the coefficient is going inside the top 40 uh, based on the results from last night and also uh, Shamrock Rovers getting a positive result against Ludo Goretz too. Um, that's the thing as well, Conan. We were saying this to some of the Sligo guys earlier. Um, particularly, I think the League of Ireland gets in behind teams and even rival clubs when they have a run in Europe and this week has been a bit of a shot in the arm for the league, getting such great results. Absolutely, yeah. We, we saw it last year when, when Bowes went on their run and their, their support that they received when they were playing at the Aviva Stadium, getting 30,000 plus fans going in there. And it was it was wonderful to see. And now, as a, a former professional footballer of only just a few years, you just get so jealous of these, of these occasions now when the, when the teams are doing so well. Because when I was playing, they weren't doing as good, but my teams weren't doing as good. But, um, yeah, but as I said, with Shamrock Rovers, I think that the squad that they have, um, the depth of the squad that they have, they have a, re- a real chance of going f- of going forward. Obviously, they brought in Daniel Cleary from St. Johnson. Simon Power has come in as well from Harrogate Town in League Two, formerly of Norwich. Played in the in the league with UCD and Cabinteely before he went abroad. Uh, before he went away, so they he, they've strengthened as well, which they needed to. I still do think that they need a, a striker that can score twenty plus goals per se- um, a season. Um, but with Sligo Rovers as well, I'm just so impressed with John Russell since he's come in, Will, if I'm being completely mm-hmm. honest. And even with his team selections, leaving off two international players um, in Nando Pinecker and Frank Levac and replacing them, not replacing them, but Shane Blaney, and, or Blaney Shane, whatever way you want to say it. Um, and what a wonderful free kick in the first couple of minutes to, to settle the nerves and very very complete performance from them gave Motherwell no no opportunity to score and then obviously with St. Pat's as well as I said I think recruitment has been key with, with the three teams over the last number of months and um, it just goes to show what, what recruitment what good recruitment can do signing the right players and signing the right personalities 
Well, look, I'm sure it was enjoyable doing the game from Tube last night, but hopefully you and Oshin Langan can be flown out to Sofia for the first leg of this third round qualifier. Conan, thanks for being so good with your time this morning. No problem at all, Will. Thanks. OTVM is brought to you live each morning with thanks to Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here's what we've got coming up on OTB Sports Radio for the rest of the day. One o'clock, some OTB Gold with Jason Sherlock, potentially the next manager of Monaghan. We've got Friday Night Racing live at 3pm. Uh, Gig Euros final preview is coming up at 4. Kathleen McNamee and Karen Duggan looking forward to the final between Germany and England. And a piece of OTB Gold at 6pm is going to be the great Ronnie Delaney. You can follow off the ball across all of our social channels, subscribe to our YouTube channel and be sure to download the OTB Sports app for the latest and best sports content and analysis. Now, after the break, the Irish Independence football correspondent Dan McDonnell is going to be with us to look back on that fantastic night for Irish football. But first, here is the Mullingar maestro himself, Saiga Rovers' Aidan Keena, who spoke to her own Alana Canan after that famous win last night. Aidan, a massive result there for Saiga Rovers. What's your reaction? Yeah, we're all delighted. Unbelievable night for the club and all the fans. You know, they've been supporting us well over the little European run, and so delighted to get that for them tonight. And Aidan Keena putting on a show was running out multiple times here throughout the night. What does that kind of mean to you? And um, as you say, the support of all the fans continued throughout the campaign and the league too. Yeah, brilliant. Happy to, the catchy songs about me, yeah, because everyone has been whistling and humming it around for a few days. So, yeah, delighted. And uh, obviously it was a great team performance overall as well. You know, you guys got the goals, but as well you held out and held out defensively as well when you could. Um, what does that kind of mean progressing now forward as you say you're going on now you'll have to head to Norway what what does that all mean in the build up not much is behind us now um, we're delighted that the sort of attitude everyone took towards the game because we knew how good we could be and we're delighted that our game plan worked against them but we're not really worrying about Viking for, at the minute we've got a big game on Sunday and the cup against Wexford so worry about that first and John himself has a lot of experience at this level and the European level overall. Is there any words of wisdom he kind of gave to you before the game to settle the nerves or something a bit? Yeah, the two of them are so well drilled and they have us, you know, our, our game plan all well drilled into us. So that's all they worry about. None of the noise outside of it. Just worry about us and our game plan and putting it on the pitch and we've done that. Thanks, Ed. Thanks very much. OTB. And don't forget, if you want to watch back any of our content talking about Sligo Rovers and St. Pat's wins in Europe last night, you can do so on demand on the Off The Ball YouTube page in a little bit. Now, Dan McDonnell joins us. I'm going to read out Dan's tweet uh, from Full Time, which is a bit sobering. I'll put everything into context afterwards. Great night for the League of Ireland clubs. The wins should be used as ammunition for improvement. Thoughts immediately now turn to whether there'll be suitable stadiums for the third round. New generation of players and managers deserve better. Dan is with us now. Dan, how are you getting on this morning? Morning, how are things? It, like, it is an obvious question. I mean, we've been chatting to the Sligo lads about it all morning. They would love the game to be at the showgrounds, but realistically, it's going to be incredibly difficult to do so. And all likelihood, they're probably going to have to go to Dublin because the club had already gone to speak to UEFA. We're told the temporary seating couldn't go in, so it makes it very difficult to meet the requirements to be able to host Viking in a couple of weeks' time. That's for the clubs, logistically, to work out over the next couple of weeks, but having to give away home advantage would be uh, quite a disappointment for Sligo particularly. Yeah, and like this is this is this is the point. I mean, there's obviously great sort of euphoria with the results last night, um, but you know, I sort of remember maybe a decade ago or so, um, you know, St Pat's getting through a couple of rounds and having to move to Tala, and like this has happened in a couple of uh, instances in our time. Obviously, the Dundalk games, I think you referenced earlier, mm. um, and it's a it's a consistent issue here, and I think. 
you know, sometimes it's obviously a constant cry for oxygen and exposure. Um, and when when the sort of news cycle turns around in your direction, it is the opportunity to, to make that point and to, to keep driving home that argument because it was always a big frustration for people in, in Dundalk that, you know, they had these great European nights and in theory, like these great European teams should have been coming to their town and to their locality. And um, you know they weren't like that. That business was going to Tala, and it may well be that that, that Sligo Rovers end up in a you know in a similar situation as much as they haven't given up hope. But the time is not on their side, and there's a lot of issues not on their side. So that's that's the just this is the frustration here because um, you know I think people would acknowledge that the product is better. In saying that, like there's a lot more to do there too, and you can't let a couple of results sort of. Uh, make you think that everything is fine either. I think that's not the the, the, the sort of the constructive response to it um, as much as you have to enjoy it. But I think, I mean, the broader issue, and I do think people are, are aware of this in positions of authority, and this is the result of sort of years of neglect. Um, but the facilities and the platforms and the stages need to be better because I actually think the product will be better when you can you can almost give these uh, clubs a little bit more of an arena to show what they can do. Um, so that's it, it is a point you have to make in the midst of any sort of celebration. Dan, hold that thought for a second. We're going to just uh, sort out a few rocking up and down uh, camera issues with uh, Dan at the moment. I was wondering if we were in a boat there. Yeah. <laughs> that is a key point, though, which we'll pick up with Dan in a moment, which is that if clubs particularly are able to get the finances in, or if maybe work can be done with local councils to try and arrange ways of upgrading stadia. That is one way for the League of Ireland to kick themselves to another level here. Big time, because even some of these teams that are travelling over here, you know, that they're seeing the, the stadiums and the dressing rooms, the facilities, they're not up to scratch. It's, you know, it's it's not a secret. We know that. So, you know, even even that side of things, it can it spur you on. Or this is a small time league club that we're going to play. Like when it's not the case, a lot of the times look, we've seen the results. So, yeah, big time. I think there's a lot of improvements that need to be done, as Dan said. Um, and now I suppose we're in a situation where you can't fill the state. You can fill the stadiums two, three times over, probably with the amount of fans that want to come now. You were on the press conference about Daily Man yesterday. We had Daniel Lambert yes, in the studio. Yeah a bit earlier this week too and he was making the point that there's actually a very good way of investing public money here mm-hmm. in a product that is very important and developing players and developing clubs within communities obviously he's talking primarily about Daily Man but they were talking about that yesterday as well Yeah it's a knock on effect throughout the, the whole club throughout the whole town you know if you if you see a stadium that's there kids see it you know it, it drives the, the whole thing on he was speaking a lot about um, having a terrace that that could be a really big advantage a lot of football fans want to stand when they went and they come to games so that was something they're hoping to bring in um, at the moment they're still waiting to hear I think it's September 4th when they really get the confirmation so we're waiting to hear it there but uh, it's positive of news for Bose in that sense. Yeah, it's a slight tangent, Dan. It's not getting away from the uh, European issue, but it is kind of related to it as well. It, it would seem for Bose and for Daily Mount at this stage that it's looking at a redevelopment as opposed to maybe those shiny designs that we saw last year of what would have been effectively a knockdown and rebuild. Yeah, no, I think, um, yeah, the, the, like it, it is, no, it, it is not, a ta- it's not a tangent because it's sort of relevant to the broader debate, as you mentioned. I mean, Bose played in the Aviva last year. There was obviously an element of a, they were great events as it happened and they used home advantage. But again, you know, they had great nights that they weren't able to play in their, in their base. But yeah, it does appear to be that way. Um, I don't know. Like I just get frustrated by this stuff because it's so slow. I mean, Daily Mount was meant to be a Euro 2020 
uh, legacy project. Um, it's such an Irish football tale. I mean, I mean, your adventure Andy didn't even end up coming in the end either, um, for sort of different reasons. But um, yeah, like you sort of get to the stage where you believe it when you see it. With some of it, without needing to be too world weary about it. Um, but it does appear like perhaps on paper it's a little bit more realistic. Um, this 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 plan that has been proposed. I mean, I think there is a sort of a degree of self-awareness that there is a quite high spend of sort of public money on this project so you obviously have to be uh it has to be appropriate level of spending i suppose but i suppose the flip side of that is i mean you know there's obviously been significant uh, public spending in tala but look at what that facility has brought um to the area and surrounds not just for say one league of ireland club but under 21 games the senior women's internationals the finland game which is sold out now um, and other sports have actually been able to use that facility as well too. And I think, you know, this broader point, like I've travelled around Europe covering League of Ireland clubs and it just drives you mad, like sort of seeing the facilities and, and particularly uh, you could go to Scandinavia and, and, you know, the Nordic region, I'm sure maybe it's like Rovers might even experience it next week. But you go there and these, there's these massive sort of municipal facilities which are shared by all sports by all codes, like several versions of that sort of dome that Connacht GEA have, but it's one that's used by multiple sports, multiple disciplines. Um, Was it Luxembourg, Dan, who had that really nice about 10,000 seater that Ireland played in as well? Yeah, like this is You don't need, like, not. we're not talking about sort of big white elephants, sort of 30,000 seater venues or something like that. It's more purpose-built, smaller arenas, which... Look, like you know, there's people in position now who are probably inheriting a lot of problems, and you know, I would make the point that like Irish football boomed in the uh, the, the golden years, you know, of Jack Charlton, where every politician wanted to be pictured, you know, around a football event, or around a match, or around something, and that was really the time that you possibly could have driven the stadium argument, and for whatever reason, people weren't thinking that way. It was very much eyes on the prize, the tunnel vision of the senior team, and 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 that was it. So you're sort of playing catch up now, uh, and that's that's frustrating. But this is why, like these results, these games, you have to use that to drive the broader argument. Now, in terms of what happened on the pitch, you were at the showgrounds last night, rocking, uh, played really well, beat Motherwell over two legs. We've been chatting about it throughout the show. Um, so they go with probably hope more than expectation to play against Viking in Norway next week. Uh, but for Sligo particularly, it's not that long ago, Dan, that I remember um, they had the fundraising uh, boxes out to try and get money into the club. And now here they are with the best part of a million quid coming in over this run in Europe now. Yeah, I mean, listen, I walked into the ground last night, Will, and, you know, the first thing you know, I was met by someone I know on the club's board who um, had to be a leaflet, you know, about sort of getting the message out that, you know, they're looking to recruit more members, you know, because it's a member-owned club. They have a certain amount of owners and they're looking for more. They're sort of, they're not, they would make the point that they don't have sort of a benefactor or sort of a sugar daddy who's able to maybe at the end of the year meet any shortfall. I mean, you know, pretty much what they what they earn, they have to try and put back into the club. Um, and like that is, you know, that is that is the sort of the romance of the story, but it's the ongoing struggle of the story as well too, that, like this money really does matter to them. And um, like you look at the the Sligo Rovers' broader plan, like they want to improve their facilities, their training ground. There's no doubt, like they can make a strong argument for the benefits of what they bring to the community. Because in recent years, they've sort of improved their academy, and there's sort of kids from all around the region involved. Like there's Niall Morahan last night from Leitrim, and uh, it was Caelan Barlow, uh, another local. 
there's a people from Mayo involved, players from Mayo involved, sprinkled in around with some sort of a uh, you know outside overseas recruits. So there is sort of um you know there's a there's a broader story to what they're doing there. And while yes, like it may well be that the next round is a bridge too far, although it's a little bit of a free hit for them. So you never know. I think that the value of what they've done this year will stand to them in the long run either way. You were very impressed by Caelan Barlow as well, Dan. Yeah, no, like he's, he's, I didn't know too much about him, to be honest. And I was only chatting to um, Conor O'Grady, who's the head of the academy afterwards about him. And he was like, no, I mean, this, is, this isn't a surprise to us. And this is the thing, like they have, I mean, they, in the last year, they had Johnny Kenny, who went to Celtic. Basically, you know, he came through, had one season, he was gone. Ed McGinty, gone to Oxford. John Matten's gone to St. Johnston. Like, you know, it's what you have to do. I know you've had discussions on the show this week about sort of um, the exodus of players and, you know, getting the right value for players. And that's obviously a, you know, a debate that will continue. But there is no doubt that through the sort of the national underage leagues and some of the changes in recent years, the Brexit point that's obviously been well documented, we are seeing more exciting young players coming through into the league. The, you know, the flip side of that is you may not see them for too long, but... Um, they are there and that is encouraging yeah it's frustrating you almost want to keep some of them under wraps if you possibly can and putting them on in TV against Motherwell where sides in the UK may well have seen them because on Premier Sports then you could easily lose them if they have a very good game but um, that is the nature unfortunately of the League of Ireland and I suppose the thing is Dan I was listening to the debate around it that Nathan was having last night the killer is that for agents they're going to want to put in these low release clauses which will see players leave and League of Ireland clubs who've had to develop these players along the way don't necessarily get a very nice cut of the transfer deal. It's like we hear about the Matt Doherty's, we hear about the Gavin Bazunu deals being quite good for Shamrock Rovers, but they are very few and far between when the deal is that lucrative for the League of Ireland team. Yeah, no, and I have. I listen. I, I, I did listen to. I listened to Pat Dean. It was on last night, and I mean, there's there's definitely like there's two sides to this argument. Again, there is no. There can be no arguing with the fact that like, it's completely understandable why these players will go and pursue the opportunities that are offered to them. They're going to earn better money. They are going to a sort of a bigger shop window over there. I think everyone, or most people within the game here sort of understand that. Um, but in, say, you know, in saying that too, like, there's, there's definitely um, a perception of Ireland as a sort of a bargain basement operation. Um, that is definitely fueled and allows sort of agents, I think, to to really drive home the clauses and and to say, you know, our player will not sign for your club unless you give this clause, and they hold uh, a lot of power. And I think you know sometimes people talk about like you know massive t- thinking that we're expecting sort of you know half a million for every player or something like that. I don't think that's the case. But in, but in saying that, like good players going for thirty grand is ridiculous. Like, it's absolutely preposterous. Um, but again, that comes back to the broader point that people from from overseas come to our league, they see, you know, stadiums that are sort of substandard, um, a lot of uh, inadequacies here, and that probably strengthens the argument for saying, well, why why would we pay money here? Um, you know, a lot of the volunteers, you know, a lot of the coaches at this club are, are volunteers, they're not even paid coaches, and they can construct all sorts of arguments to justify um, the bargain basement prices. What you probably hope is that the seven or eight have done well this year um, almost become flag bearers if they do very well. Well, then of course it's easier to to look for more next time. But if there's there's two sides to the argument, and I think everyone will spin it in their direction uh, very favourably, including agents. 
and last night what a night it was for the League of Ireland it really highlighted it and it's really put the story out there and people are actually I suppose noticing and seeing what League of Ireland teams can do Yeah no it's true actually like, and I think I mean for me like you know I'm obviously working the beat the whole year round but the best time is always these European games as much as sort of one-off results can be very deceiving in both directions there can be a knee-jerk reaction if they're bad there can probably be an overreaction when they're good to be honest but I, I think, you know, you have to sort of find your place in the calendar. I, I mean, I know, Will, you were tweeting about this this week, and I'm, I know this, the, the gap in the inter-county season is obviously a contentious one, and it's, it's not a case like there's multi-sport fans everywhere who can mm. like all sports. Um, but I think it is true that you do have this month of August now where there isn't a huge amount in terms of, like, major Irish-based sporting news stories. And for me, there's a sense of, okay, wouldn't it be great if this was the time of the year where maybe people got engaged with these sort of European matches a bit more? And also, and Conan touched on it there, our clubs don't always make it as far as August, but when they do, if you can make them bigger events and, and sort of give these events a little bit of momentum and exposure because they're like, they're really interesting games, you know? And in other countries, like they're, they're often bigger news than they, than they are here. I mean, you can, you can watch some of the games this week on TV in other countries but you can't watch it here. And I know the reasons for that. And it's not a case of just having a go at broadcasters because they have, they have valid points they can raise too. But I think you have to get to the stage where the interest is such that the broadcasters have no option. I, by the way, didn't want to admit to Conan earlier on, but our WhatsApp group here in the office watched a Slovenian stream of the penalties with St. Yeah. Pat's last night because we were able to find one. Like, But that is the bizarre thing, Dan. And, and some in some ways, it's like the Father Ted quote, maybe I like the misery. There is something about being a League of Ireland fan and having to find some obscure stream somewhere to watch a game that almost adds to the enjoyment of it. I remember sitting with Shane Keenigan in this office a few years ago when it was the middle of the pandemic. I think we watched um, the derby between Bowes and Rovers and it was someone with like one of those kitman cameras that had linked it into his laptop and we were watching it behind closed doors. Like you, you almost have to go the extra step for the League of Ireland, which adds to the enjoyment a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I should, should contractually say in some way, I mean, it was available on LOI TV. I mean, people just have a mental block about paying for like journalistic or, you know, subscriber content, you know, when they, they pay it on a coffee or a pint without thinking about it, you know. So that is the thing. But it is, look, I know exactly what you're saying. Like I... I think the Sheriff and Dock game a couple of years ago, which was a you know a penalty shootout, it somehow ended up being streamed on YouTube by some. Uh, it was literally a guy in a phone. On that yeah, one. I think I ended up like you could hook it through YouTube through casting or whatever. But I, I mean, I, I see your point about people sort of revel in that mystery to some degree. But it, I also hate that too. Like, I mean, it should be as I said, you're in Tala the other night. There's like Bulgarian sort of the Bulgarian Tonio Donahue or whatever is doing like you know, a pitch side report during the game. Like, this game has been digested. Like, they probably covered their Champions League teams there. Like, we might cover, say, Leinster or mm. sort of Munster here. You know, these are big sort of events. And yet sometimes here, you're sort of struggling for any any mention at all. And it can sort of, it, it can it can sort of, uh, it can lead to a sort of a, an angry complex then building up in people screaming for that coverage, which sort of creates a sort of a cycle of, anger around what should be a sort of an enjoyable time. So like that's the, you know, that is the sort of uh, 
the slight dysfunction that is sort of cemented here. I think um, some people, it, Dan, assumed that Rovers were just going to be on the TV on Tuesday because the previous round had been shown. And I appreciate that, like, RT were um, somewhat caught up because they were committed to showing all of the games at the Women's yeah. European Championship. So you had England and Sweden on the same night. But you would have thought we'd go on to news now or we're getting to a point where maybe alternatives should be available in those circumstances. Like, our champions should really be available to watch in every round of Europe. Listen, I think so. I think Archie did flag that some way out. I think sometimes they they do absorb a lot of the grief. You know, mm-hmm. there obviously are other broadcasters who who could step in. But and, and, and again, I'm not ignorant to the facts that like, some of those would have commercial concerns. Um, and as well, I would make this point too that when our teams win, obviously you sort of bang the drum about it, but you have to be prepared to sort of ship some losses too and the discourse and the debate that comes with that. And at times there's been some bad performances that people are probably being happy weren't on TV. But I think you have to get to the stage where these are sort of, a, as I said, sort of an ingrained part of the calendar that they are on the box in some shape or form. I don't think it's really possible to do it because of individual rights issues, but I'd love to see it structured into the TV deal in some way that these games almost, you know, they have to be shown, but I know that that's, that's probably a hard thing to enforce and sort of slot into the, the deal that's there at the moment. But um, I think like, there has to be more inventive ways at times or it has to be more imaginative ways to, to get these games broadcast to a wider audience. Like, you know, it's not as if there was a huge amount else going on last night, you know, but uh, again, were people optimistic about those clubs going through? Were they screaming beforehand that all these games should be on? Some people were, everyone else is latching onto it a little bit in the aftermath. But um, I think, yeah, I think it's a, it's the perennial question. But um, maybe next year we say that like, like last year we the, the, we had the same same level of success. You know that in the sense of you know the, the clubs that got to the third round, the volume of clubs that got to the third round. So um, the hope, I suppose, is that this becomes more regular. And if it, you know, it's not just every so often. If it starts to happen on a regular basis, then that argument sort of makes itself. I just want to let you go, Dan. Conan's stake was going to be very difficult for Sligo and Pats to go through against Viking and against CSK Sofia particularly. Are we hopeful, though, that Shamrock Rovers, especially what we saw in that second leg against Ludogorets, that Shamrock Rovers might be able to get to the group stages? Yeah, I think that's realistic. I mean, the champions, I mean, Shamrock Rovers, even if they lose their next tie against the champions of Macedonia, they get another go mm. uh, to get into the Conference League, whereas sort of Sligo or Pats have do or die in every round. Um, so Shamrock Rovers play the champions of Macedonia, uh, Shkupi, who are decent. They push Dynamo Zagreb close, but I have to say, like, it's a, it's a lower-ranked league. There comes a point where if you want to make that next step, it's one thing to lose to Luda Goretz and look at them and go, we can't compete. They have a wage bill of X amount. They pay this amount for a player. That's perfectly understandable and reasonable. It's harder to sell that point if you lose to the champions of Macedonia or Estonia as it was last year. I think think if Roberts play as well as they can, they can wrap up group stage football with a rent to spare. But that's that's the sort of bridge they have to cross now. Dan, cheers for joining us on OTBAM. Thank you. It's bank all the weekend. Hopefully you're all going to have an enjoyable one. It means that OTPM is back on Tuesday morning, half past seven. I'll be joined by Johnny Ward in studio. We'll be reflecting on the All-Ireland Ladies Football Final, the Euro 2022 final between England and Germany. Anthony Moyles will be with us as well uh, to pick his football 15 of the year. No easy thing to do this year, particularly defensively. So many people are arguing in their uh, All-Star 15s. OTB AM with Gillette. 
Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. 